used to say, sometimes you need to podcast something bad to stop you from podcasting something worse. <laughs> Very good. Sure. Yeah. Uh, hello. Hi. That was my best Mia Wasikowska impression, which was just very quiet and delicate. I am happy to be here. I'm your Mia Wasikowska yes. expert now. If you ever do Crimson Peak, I guess I'm locked in. That's oh, the yeah. thing. Is that Fuck. Yes. Wait so, a second. Alice. Alice and this. This. I, I fucking love Mia Have Wasikowska. we covered a third Wasikowska? Has there been a Wasikowska okay, you look, weren't talking about? Isn't it? It's Wasikowska. I'm or trying whatever. to adjust okay, okay. in real time with each additional time I say it. Okay. She's, she's from Australia. I feel like it's been anglicized to some extent. Yeah. That is true. That's that why I true. thought split the difference. It's Wasikowska, but you think it's Wasikowska. I mean, that's true. I think that is like the Polish. Pro- I don't. Sure. I, look, look. I'm Polish. This so. is a mini series of us not pronouncing names correctly. No. I also have some Polish ancestry. Right. But, you know. Um, right. Which, in my defense, I, I don't pronounce gremlins correctly. How do you pronounce it? I go a little hard in the R. <laughs> gremlins. 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 <laughs> uh, so, let's see. Okay. So, we you're saying, like, uh, we did Alice in Wonderland, of course. Yeah. Uh, we're doing Stoker. I'm saying, what is there any other others? movie she has appeared in that we've covered on the well, podcast? If or we is do... Emily two for two right now? Two for two. Which I hope uh, she is. Yeah, yeah, I think, yes. I think that's those are the only two. Okay. Of course, if we do Cronenberg. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, she's in Maps to the Stars, I believe. Yeah. Um, Jarmusch confirmed do... 2024. Right. If we do Jarmusch or Del Toro. Oh, right. Yes. Um, no, Crimson Crimson Peak would be an early. Right. That's what you said. Yes. Uh, if, we yeah. did, my, my, if we did Mira Nair, she's in Amelia. Oh, young, young Mia. Really? Uh, she's oh, I thought you said like, she was um, young Amelia. She's playing one of, no, she's like one of the sort of uh, female aviators who are inspired, you know, okay. like who like, she meets. and She that's plays her. one corner of the Bermuda Triangle. Uh, that's right. Uh, yes. Um, Please don't land here. Please. I guess we could do Gus Van Sant. She's in Restless. Right. Uh, that seems like a stretch for us at this point, Van Sant. Yeah. We'll do Psycho one day, and then maybe we can talk Van Sant then. Yeah, we could do Van Sant through the, the franchises. What other franchises does he have? Uh, well, he, uh, hmm, that's a good question. Has Gus Van Sant done any other was it, franchises? Wasn't, like, Elephant part of, like, a trilogy? Yes, the yes. Death Trilogy. Yeah, Elephant, do the Death Trilogy. Elephant, yeah. um, you know, Last Days yes. and Paranoid Park, right? I had a weird dream that there was a new elephant. <laughs> like... They like, like elephant legacy. <laughs> I was sitting there watching, and I, don't I was think like, "There's any funny way to pursue this conversation?" No, but I, I my dream was me at a screening, and I'm like, "Critics liked this." No, I guess it's Jerry Elephant Last Days is the right. Death yeah. Correct. I would do that. Well, Elephant would be a really tough hang as a commentary. Jerry and Last Days would be more fun. Sure. Yeah. Uh, elephant is is less fun. You always thought the uh, Death Trilogy more of a walking around. It's well, putters and murmurs. Trilogy, it's a lot really. of walking. Or it's a lot of puttering. Yeah. Yeah, people do die. I should I should not be dismissive. It's 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 a, it's a tough movie. It's, yeah. I haven't seen that movie in in twenty years. Which one? It was Elephant. I think it's a masterpiece. I thought it was a masterpiece also when I was a teenager. Never have watched it again. I'm terrified since. to ever watch it again. At the time, I saw it and was like, "This is one of the best movies," and I've yeah. never watched it. No, again. I mean, it's, Emily on yeah. Oscar watch. A lot of people had Elephant. Uh, yeah, fuck what it's Sig- Siggies signatures. Yeah, Remember we called them Siggies. Yeah, Siggies. Siggies. Because yeah. you would have your avatar. Uh huh. Right. That was your little profile. Jake Seller. Yeah. Uh, exactly, but then a lot of people had signatures that they would custom make. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, you, you, you hit the forum. You fucking try to you big dog me as if I'm not big yeah, dogging. It's anyone. not like that's the only forum that had that. The Palisades Toys Forum had that, David, um, and I was posting up a storm there. The collapse of Twitter and other social media platforms. You guys need to start a forum. Let's go it's back. It's time to, to bring back V Bulletin. Yes, Maybe I think it so. Is yeah. 
Oh God! I wonder if I still have the like. We disown the subreddit. You know, if I if I would need to like do some cardio again I to just get saw used David's to like. David's eyes light up at the idea of like, fuck. Could I still post the way I used to? Am I still a super mod on every, Oscar? Yes, Watch I believe they finally so. I, I, every <laughs> I time, super mod. Every time I, there's an election, mm-hmm. I go there because it's the one place I know how to process bad news for mm-hmm. some reason. Uh, and you're they still talk in the NBA thread that you started in like 2012. So that's wow. your legacy. That's there, your legacy. The NBA thread. That will be the headline I when you started die, an NBA David, in 2012. Yeah. Damn. I mean, I did a lot of stuff on that forum. Most of it embarrassing. Mm. Um, none of it. None, none of it embarrassing. Um, I do, uh, do want to say, at the time, anything. I knew you as someone from the UK. And That's so true. when I started talking to you on AIM, you mentioned at one point that you had grown up in New York. And I literally said, wait, what? So... Mm. <laughs> Used to be the opposite. I yeah. was the UK boy who actually yeah. had a little New York going for him. He's using it. I'm using folks. the tape measure. I left a tape measure on David's desk, and it's now been worked into the episode the as a cool I know, prop. I know, yeah, I know you've retired the bit, but at the time I didn't know I was doing the opposite of the bit. So I feel like it was for a sure. really great, like long lead setup. You know. Oh yeah. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, um, that is true. Emily, just to sort of explain to you things that have changed since the last time you've been on the show, mm-hmm. and this is stuff that has not been released on main feed yet, so you couldn't know. Um, David uh, doing a, a prop sound like foley work <laughs> uh, with the tape measure is clearly him reacting in insecurity to the fact that Ben has now become a slapstick guy. Oh, God. Yeah, that's is true. The slapstick gone? No, 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 no. Keep it away. Keep it away. All right. Introduce our podcast. All right, all right. Put he it bought back. a literal slapstick. Also, wow. Ben got his ear pierced. You guys are fucking on the bleeding edge of this shit. I think yeah. people are really going to put together how out of order this series is <laughs> by the amount oh, of, right. like, of which, which episodes I, have a lot of yeah, Ben earring discussion yeah, on them. I feel like this is a little bit later, and, yeah. and so Get the ready. earring will move all Ben, do you have your been... earring in? Can I see it? Yeah. Oh, shit. That it's a great. little stunned. That's yeah. so good. That's I so love good. it. You look great. I'm glad you love that. it. Yeah. Bad Boy 2.0 era. You're saying that, David, as if I'm not going to bring up the earring every episode to every guest. But Fair what enough. podcast is this? This is Ben's earring with Griffin and David. <laughs> A disastrous rebrand we've settled on for some reason. <laughs> I'm Griffin. I'm David. It's a and podcast. this is my earring. That's Ben's earring. <laughs> <laughs> it's a podcast. The title's changed, but it's still a podcast about filmographies. Directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion projects they want. Sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce, baby. And, and sometimes, sometimes they get pierced. I was going to say the exact same thing. <laughs> we were both rushing to the same finish line there. Uh, this is a mini f- series on the films of Park Chan-wook. It is entitled... I'm a podcast, but that's okay. That's we right. Over losers. Democracy. Yep. Uh, and today we're talking about Stoker, his to date only English language film. Yes, he's done English language television, but this yes. is the only film he's made in English language. Yes. Um, and returning to the show. Yep. Returning champion. Mm-hmm. One of our Hello. favorite people. Hello. Emily St. James. Yes. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad to be here. I'm I'm thrilled. I had I had the thing going of bad movie or, or good movie, bad movie, and now I'm thrilled to break it with I just come on for me and watch Costco's shit. Yeah, like, that's the yeah. one thing I do now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. you need a hook. You yeah. need a hook. This it it does fascinate me how divisive this movie is. Yeah, I love this fucking movie. I, I love, love this it. movie too, but like the people who don't like this movie are are still angry about it ten years later. Yeah. Like fucking Stoker. Yeah. Don't get me started on Stoker. <laughs> this was a very polarizing movie. I think I think very, very, very stylish movies yes. are always 
that kind of polarizing but where it's like, well, I can tell this is stylish. Right. So it's doing a thing. Right. So, and if so, if the movie, if the story doesn't vibe for you, you right. can really easily lean into kind of like I, all style, no sub, you know, all sizzle, it's no almost steak, your, blah, blah, blah. your Malkovich sun dried tomatoes analogy. Yeah. Please remind me. Oh, oh, yes. Or I called him a sun dried tomato actor. He is a sun dried tomato actor. Right. And you're like, sometimes that's not the sandwich you want sun dried tomatoes on. Well, and it's going to overpower. You might just want one or two on yes. your sandwich. Yes. And sometimes Malkovich is going to put 40 on your right. sandwich. Right. This, this movie feels like the speed racer of abusive family movies. I like think that's it, fair to say. Yeah. The editing is so similar to Speed Racer. I was yeah. watching it last night with some friends. And yeah. we were like, yeah. Richard Roundtree does live commentary over most of the. <laughs> The dialogue scenes. It, and look. What? In the hands of someone. I like this movie a lot. I love this one. Uh, in the hands. I But I do think in the hands of somebody else. Yes. This movie could be just the purest nonsense. Like just just so bad. Not Maybe not so bad, but yeah. just like a real bit of twaddle to I use an English expression. I do like the script, but you're also. You do I don't watch mind the it. script, but it's a, it's a bit of a genre exercise. Oh, it is. Yes. It is. And you watch it and you're just like, God, they were smart to get him to do this. Yes, yes. I just think if you know, whatever. I, I I don't know who your replacement level director is. No, I always I used to cite Ratner, but I feel like Ratner is now like too he's too problematic. Yes. Yeah, to actually right. Who's the who's, who's your kind of like problematic Ratner? Who's your C minus director? Louis Leterrier. <laughs> but like Louis Leterrier makes action movies. Like Louis Leterrier is probably not going to make a tense Hitchcockian thriller. But David, hear me out. What if Louis Leterrier made this movie? Made Stoker. They don't think it made be very Stoker good. Legacy. I think the Russo brothers would make this movie. Yes. They would. And it would be, I don't know what it would be. It'd be something. But it's, I'm now convinced that, that they, they are, are terrible filmmakers unless they have uh, really, really strong other stuff around them. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, not just replacement level. I think they're bad. Yeah. But that's, but that's what's wild is you're like, they are the directors of like the most successful movies of all time, basically. Sure. And now we're like, are they competent? And I, the, gen I, I genuinely like their community shit was so well directed. This is the thing. Yeah. I think there were just, a, I, I'm really starting to feel like there were a lot of other people helping. I think, I think. Beyond the fact they had a good script on their hands with that stuff. I think it's the that. showrunner thing. I think it is like, I think they are very good if someone else is giving them the vision. Anytime they're like, who are we as filmmakers? You're like, they have nothing to say. Well, also, now they've become moguls. Yes. Well, the whatever. mogul thing I hate. Right. But I'm like, if there is a Feige, if there is a Harmon, you know, if there is a Hurwitz or whatever. Well, they broke through under Soderbergh. So, yes. like, Soderbergh was, like, shepherding them. And then they kind of had a dry period. They and then they had to Collinwood. They, yeah. they welcomed us. Yeah. And people said, eh, I'm busy that day. <laughs> Can't find it on the map. I'm going to go somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. Um. Stoker. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it just, I, yeah, sure. If the Russo's made Stoker, I don't know if it would be very good. No. I was thinking about the script was on the blacklist, which yes, like really sure. high. And it's just like, I don't know. I, I love this movie. I think it's mm -hmm. a good script. I don't, I can't imagine like Hollywood executives reading this and being like, yeah, fuck yeah, that's but great. This is the thing with the blacklist. Right. You have to think about it's being voted on less by executives and more by readers, right? Sure. Who have to read every fucking thing that comes through. So if you read a script that is just compellingly weird, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's going to jump straight up your list because you're like sitting there fucking like falling asleep at your desk, reading a million scripts. Even if they're functional, they're all probably a little bit similar. They fall into clean silos. And then if you read something like this where you're like, what the fuck is going on? You're not going to forget the Stoker script. It's also a script where you have three roles mm -hmm. where you're, you can just imagine, you know, like three opportunities for right. a zillion different actors to pop. 
Because this yeah. was very nearly... There is no like bland role in no. Stoker. This was yes. very nearly Carrie Mulligan, Colin Firth, Jodie Foster. Oh, yeah. Carrie Mulligan, Colin Firth. That's what's wild. And you're Firth's like... Firth's too old for that. Three very different... All three Jody of them are Foster. older than the three people who ended up in the movie. Yeah. It ages the whole thing another like seven or eight years, if not ten. Yeah, and that would like, be like post an educate That Carrie Mulligan's yeah. in her mid-20s. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But you're like, right, you could do this exercise where you could just keep on coming up yeah. with three people to play those parts. Is this is this the best movie that was big on, script that was big on the blacklist that wasn't already, like Social Network was big on the blacklist, mm -hmm. but that was already being made. Like, Ye hmm. it's kind of like this and Passengers and the fucking, what was the? Juno, Lars and the Real Girl. I'm trying to think of other ones that were like the top script right, or in that top five. some famous blacklist scripts. Yeah. Oh, there's too many, though. Give me the number ones. Give us some highlights of the number ones. Can we also just give people a sense of what the blacklist is? The blacklist is, is, it is what I, what I was sort of explaining. It was this thing that was started by this guy, Franklin Leonard, that was like, we should make a list of the best unproduced screenplays to give them, like, their flowers. And it was, it started as a poll of like an email list of a hundred assistants and readers at studios and production companies and going like, what are the 10 best scripts you've read this year? And then the list is which ones got the most votes. Okay. And it started like mid 2000s and then it became a thing where like, if something is the number one blacklist script of the year, it gets produced. Here are the, but that's honestly not true at all. For a moment, it was. Here are the screenplays on top of the blacklist, yeah. starting from 2005. The 2005 number one was Things We Lost in the Fire, right. which was turned into an honestly underrated movie, sure. but uh, not a hit, obviously. Yes. Then something called The Brigands of Rattleborge. Big L for the blacklist yep. on that one. Uh -huh. Then Recount, which of course was turned into a sure, uh, the TV film. Yeah. Yes. Then The Beaver, a famous yes. Uh, yes. blacklist yes. number one. But where it was also, like, you can't believe how crazy this thing is. A, yes. A perfect example of you read that script and you go like, holy fucking I certainly shit. haven't read anything like this. this is, right. That yeah. was a period where I was auditioning a lot, not to humble brag, uh, when people still wanted me to be in things or at least were interested in considering me. And I remember reading that script and being like, holy shit, this is the best script I've ever read. And in retrospect, you were like, it's just weird. Yeah, It's very weird. He's got a beaver. He, can't, he yeah. talks through the beaver. But in a year where you're reading like a hundred scripts. No, hundred percent. Yeah. I remember right. I remember hearing about that script and being like, I this could be such a great movie. And then it yeah. came out and I was like, this is actually kind of fucking weird and I don't want to see it yes. at all. But also was the example Killen. of like every single fucking pairing of director and actor possible before they landed on Mel Gibson and Jodie Foster. Well. Okay, next, uh, The Muppet Man, which is a famous uh, Jim Henson biopic, right, that's never been made. Horrendous. Have you read that script, Emily? I have. Mm -hmm. So the guy famously was like, yeah, I didn't do any research. Mm -hmm. I just, like, wrote a narrative of Vibes. what I thought his life might have been. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it's really bad, and people read it, and they were like, what an interesting life Jim Henson had. And I'm like, bullshit. And not even, uh, like, a creative, okay. like, reimagining, just sort of laziness. Uh, then, okay, uh, a script called... But, but to say, Muppet Man, Disney bought... Griff, we're going to keep To prevent moving. it from getting made, sure, it will okay, never We're going to keep moving. Okay, yes. College Republicans, which I believe is like a Carl Rove yeah. That very nearly got made. Yeah. Never got made. Uh, that was going to be a Dano Shia thing. I forget who's going to direct it. Sure. Uh, the Imitation Game, which yes, was made. Okay. Uh, Wins an Oscar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it did win an Oscar. For the Stoker's, Stoker's better than Incredibly that. bizarre screenplay yes. winner. Yes. Yes. Uh, a little movie called, I'm seeing here, Draft Day mm. was number one on the yep. blacklist. Yes, sir. Only reason it got made. Um, num and then uh, the year after that was a film called Holland, Michigan that I think is finally being made. Oh, wow. Uh, starring uh, Nicole Kidman, of all people. Okay. 
Uh, then, okay, something called Catherine the Great, which I think is a biopic about mm -hmm. the Queen of Russia. Yeah. Never got made. But that was one definitely where, like, a lot of big A-list actresses yes. were, you know. Something called Bubbles? Is that about Michael Jackson's monkey? Correct. Yes. <laughs> yes that nearly I remember that made. one. I remember that one floating around. Taika Waititi was going to do it as a stop-motion film. Oh, that and sounds then just wonderful. When, whatever it's called, Leaving Neverland came out. Yeah, they were like... They were like a month away, I think, from starting animation. Um, there is a film called Blonde Ambition that was a Madonna movie, I believe. Uh, that's the one that she was going to direct. Right. Um, but after sure she rewrote it. that's definitely going to happen still. Oh, it's never uh, happened. A movie called Ruin, which I think was like a World War II movie that okay. Gal Gadot was uh, attached to at some point. Okay. A movie called Frat Boy Genius. Don't uh -huh. know what that is. No. It's about a frat boy genius. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's about Snapchat founder Evan Spiegel. <laughs> um... Something called Move On, something called Headhunter. I just want to shout out Cauliflower, which was on top of, I think, the 2021 list written uh -huh. by my friend Dan Jackson. Okay. Uh, and Pure is the most... Like, obviously, most of these scripts have not yeah. yet been made because yeah. that's how it works. But some of the other ones, I guess... There's lots of other. We're in the top... Know. Argo was on yes. that. was a blacklist script. Blood Diamond. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, Charlie Wilson's... I don't know. There's right. a zillion blacklist yes. scripts. Um, but Juno, yeah, like you said. That's I feel a like they're one. a combination now of, like... Now there are a lot of films that I feel like the script's written, they don't put it into production because they're waiting to get the blacklist pump, even though it's going to get made. Yeah. And then there's a couple per year where you're like, this is an actual discovery. Yeah. This is a movie that would not have gotten greenlit if not for The Shine. Yeah. 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 And Stoker was sort of like a real discovery. People were like, what is this? Well, and then it has this you know, whole narrative of like, well, Wentworth Miller, you know him from Prison Break, the prison is tattooed on his body, but he wrote it under a pseudonym. Yes. Like, So when it's on the blacklist, that's when people there found without, out. Like, without his name. Yes. Yeah, right. That's how good it is. Yeah. Now, I love Stoker, but I'm glad we can do some Prison Break talk. Let's yes. just, just pencil Let's it in. Now, yeah. We once, Emily and I remember. Emily just unfolded the blueprints. Wait, prison, have you introduced her guest? Yeah, <laughs> Emily St. Yeah. James. Emily St. James. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not my name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I, I, sometimes I, I just lose track. Of um, course. It's like brushing your teeth every day. At this point, I am best known for doing this podcast. There's mm. so many people who like are like, I, I love your blank oh, check yeah. appearances. I, yeah. I should list your credits, of course. No, that's fine. Alice in Wonderland, Silence yeah. of the Lambs. Uh, a few others. Yeah. Uh, why am I forgetting the other ones? I Munich. Mean, I, I, yeah, I, Munich. Yeah. Uh, the Thing and Christmas Carol. That's good. It's Christmas Carol. <laughs> that's a chaotic. Those Zemeckis episodes are just like yeah, a that's, blur to me. Yes. Don't remember those at all. No. Some people say those are our best episodes. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, uh, I guess you want me to lose my mind. <laughs> um, one of uh, the best moments, the standout moments in the Back to the Future episode where I forgot to cut out a 10 minute bathroom break. Yeah. <laughs> and people were like, this is funny that they did this. And I'm wow. Like, yeah. Really committing to the bit. The ultimate Ben bit. <laughs> um, I remember we used to say uh, that the pilot of Prison Break was the best thing Brett Ratner ever directed. Yeah. And uh, I might came stick out. by that. Yeah. And then, sure. Um, <laughs> and Prison, break season, Prison Break season one. No, not good. Prison mm. Breaks episode 1 to 13, good. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think after 13, where they had gotten the pickup, and they yeah. were like, fuck, okay, we can't have them break out till the finale. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, they clearly built the story to be like, well, if we get canceled, they can break out at 13. Sure. You know? yeah. And then at 13, they were like, we're going to do it. And then there's like a pipe in the way, and they're yeah. like, fuck! You know, and you're like, <laughs> Never considered and the I pipe. I remember there being like eight more episodes of them being like, how do we get rid of the pipe? And you're just like, okay. How many seasons did they ultimately Five. do? And did they do a reboot or did they threaten they did, to? They did four in the original run. That's they right. did a fifth season reboot. I they like, also did a movie called The Final Break. Oh. Wasn't there a the threat of doing like Prison Break Legacy a couple years ago and Wentworth Miller said like, I will never go back? I think so. Uh, I, I Yeah. It seems like a 
Yeah, someone who maybe doesn't love everything about the process of making television, right? Beyond that, I think he hated the experience of being famous. He's talked right. a lot about that. Because he was also obviously in the Flashiverse. Yeah. I feel like yes. he... He seemed to enjoy that more. Enjoyed it, but it yeah. would be like he, like he was a, a lead in Legends of Tomorrow, and then very quickly he was like, I don't want to be a lead. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll recur. Like, right. I'll show up sometimes. He was that weird thing. I think we invoked this in some episode recently where they gave him like a series regular deal across all the series. Right, and they were like, right, in right. totality, you will end up doing a little bit under a season's worth of episodes, but we'll spread them out over different shows. The uh, the thing about TV right now is that Prison Break would be like an eight-episode limited series. It would yeah. probably be a stronger story, but I feel like we're all nostalgic. My, I may be just speaking for myself. For the time when you get to episode 13, there would be a pipe and yeah. because they have to keep going yes. for we're, an indefinite period of time. You and I, I'm sure, are very nostalgic for uh TV scheduling, which no longer matters, but you know, so back. Mean. No, you too. No, hundred percent. But Emily and I just used to talk about this just a lot. I wasn't on the, the whole Oscar like, watch you know, program. who's going to get Tuesday at nine? Yes. You know, like you know, whatever. Um, and yeah, sweeps week. You know, yeah. They still do sweeps. Do they do Listen, sweeps? Yes. When my but like it's just kind of we don't know about yes. it anymore because who cares? Right. When right. my baby was born just before November, I was so fucking mad that she wasn't born in sweeps month. Mm. I was just like, would have been a big event. That sweeps baby. Good. Yeah, um, like I watched when I had a child. Yeah, uh, in right. those those really dazed first six months, I watched. Like, yeah, during the Zemeckis era, six or seven seasons of Grey's Anatomy. Like you know, we just put it on. I watched and, ER. Well, I, it's medical about. drama time mm. when you have a baby. Hundred percent. And like I remember, just some you know episode of Grey's, like was very dramatic, and I was like, this must have been a sweeps episode. Yeah. And my wife was like, "What are you talking <laughs> about?" And I was like. God, this is so boring to explain, but, you know, like, you know, then, like, yeah, I just feel like, I guess that probably still does, like, I'm watching Abbott Elementary and they kiss. It yeah. still does I should happen. be putting yeah. together, like, oh, this is a sweeps week episode. Yeah, I think it happens on the procedurals more than anything else. Right. I, That's I when think, you do a crossover. I think CBS hits sweeps big. Um, David, I, I, you started to say this, and I shut you up because I said you need to save this for Mike, but you just built the transition point. Oh, oh my wife. Your wife. Uh, th this being the weirdest miniseries so far of your wife walking in and saying, what are you watching? Well, it's more like, look, you know, I don't know. I only have so much time. So, yes, sometimes I'm like, look, I have to watch this movie tonight, like doing a podcast on it. Sure. And usually either she will watch with me or she will like look at her computer, you know, or whatever and sort of like pay some attention. But with Park Chenwook, with Stoker actively disturbed obviously mm -hmm. it's not a chill movie was at all she's actively watching or was she coming in and she out? was with stoker she was paying more attention i okay. would say oh it's easier to grab it's like hey that's nicole kidman hey yeah, you know i know sure. matthew good blah, blah blah yeah and then yesterday i had old boy on because we're doing old boy soon mm -hmm. and uh at one point not spoilers for old boy but she just looked up to see you know a hammer claw in someone's teeth yeah and i was like oh you might not want to and she was like what the fuck is this yeah. and i was like and you were Sorry. like, hey, 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 don't worry, don't worry. It has a very unhappy ending. <laughs> it has one of the most famously fucked up endings of all She definitely time. looked up for the octopus eating, the hammer tooth removal. Sure. And then she's like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to the I got you it. Know, I'm leaving the room. Um, but anyway, no. Stoker, I was like, that was the thing. I was like, honestly, Stoker, one of the more watchable Park Chan Wook movies in terms of yeah. like, just chillness. It's kind of gripping. Like, oh, it's, it's very hard gripping. to look away yeah. from. Yeah, once yeah. You're watching. Well, I mean, so, but so that's you talk. It's out. the fucking the the style, the style of this thing. Yeah, it is. It is uh, grabbing. Uh, Emily, you're a big Park Chan Wook fan Love in general. Him. Love him. I feel like you were stumping big mm -hmm. for him during mm -hmm. March Madness. Very often, in fact, 
the person you stump for has won. I just have my finger on the pulse of yeah. America, I yeah. gotta say. Yeah. But Demi was one you were pushing really hard. Yeah. I, I pushed uh, Demi and Zemeckis and then uh, the, the... Right. You were yeah. also a big Zemeckis person. Yeah. 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 Then the year of the 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 whatever it was, the four brackets, the thing where right. I picked Joe Johnston. Without that year, I got everything wrong. But, but, but am I, Well, you, you knew Joe of, Johnston was. I knew Joe was Johnston wasn't going to win. I mean, I would but, love to do Joe Johnston, to be clear. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Did you also sort of like shift your, your votes over to Carpenter at the point Joe Johnston was eliminated? You're going to go pee? You got it. You guys talk. I've, uh, yeah, I, I, I did vote. I did push Carpenter. Um, okay, wait, but yeah, sorry, quickly. No, what is the worst thing that David ever posts on the Oscar Watch? What is the worst? Thing like, can you can you think yeah. of like the worst prediction he ever made? Oh my god, let me think. He was. Uh, oh god, he he very much was like. There's no like catastrophically bad like me turning to my dad and saying that Pay It Forward is going to sweep the big five. No, the thing about David was he was always like very detached and like kind of above it all. And um, even back then, yeah, god. yeah. I will say this. He, at the time, hated the Lord of the Rings movies. Hated is strong, but like he was like, you know, these are three out of five, you know? Wow. Yeah. Because I feel like he boosts them hard. Now he He's loves like, them. of course, yeah. they're classic. Yeah, I've seen that. But yeah, at the time. Was, was he dismissive at the prospect of them like winning Best Picture? Kind of, yeah. He was He was like, it's he, when it was clear Return of the King was going to yeah. win, he was like, you know, I'm not happy about this. That's a beautiful manga. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, yeah, the thing we were talking about. <laughs> Had to pee. I forgot to pee. No, of course. Uh, Joe Johnson, wait. Oh, no, what were you guys talking about now? I shifted your votes over to Carpenter, Carpenter I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, and like this year, um, I think I was boosting Satoshi Kon at first, but then sure. I was like, uh, Park, I was also very big on Park Chan-wook. He's one of my favorite. He was on my long list of people I thought about picking in, in 2021, whatever yes. year that yes. was. And uh, then uh, uh, David was so excited about Joe Johnston. <laughs> I was like, It was a fun, chaotic uh, pick. Yeah, um, it was chaotic in its normalcy, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, and it's also just one of those things where you're like, Joe Johnson, like, what are you talking? And then you look at the filmography and you're like, huh? yeah. <laughs> I watched, I watched Nutcracker in the Four Realms for the first time last year and had a blast. And, and had a blast. David, thanks was, you for the residual yeah. payment. I hope you liked your two cents. Uh, Joe Johnson, just to be clear, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, mm -hmm. big guarantor. Yeah. The Rocketeer, Great uh -huh. Bounce. Yes. Good movie, underrated, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Vindicated. The Page Master. I think he might be a co director on that one he or something. The live he does action. live action, but yeah. that counts. Well, we Weird do that, movie. We do that on Patreon. Yes, that sounds yeah. fine. Jumanji. Yeah. Franchise starter. Yeah. <laughs> Took a while, but yeah. October Stick Eye, underrated gem. Sure. Jurassic Park 3, Unfairly Maligned. Good yeah. movie. You and I both fun. agree the best of the sequels. Yeah. 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 I think I agree with that too. Yeah. Um, I think I do. Hidalgo. Okay, whatever. But also, there's like, always a Hidalgo. Colossal bomb. Big bomb, post Lord of the Rings, yeah. failure, sort of yeah. a thing. If for Vigo. Right. The Wolfman, famous bounce. Yes. You know, disaster. Yeah. Captain America, the first Avenger, sort of becoming like maybe the best Marvel movie, like in retrospect, just for its smallness. It's going up there. Yeah. Um, Something called Not Safe for Work is tough. Don't know what that is. What? Is that? Is that one of the mini oh, movies our, about like Spangella's in it? Killing people in an office park. Y correct. Yeah. Okay. Um, some kind of auctions uh, office set action thriller. Weird. Uh, and then Nutcracker. Yeah. Ben's just bored. Ben's just fucking buying he candles keeps on online right to now. to retire and has like a couple times called <laughs> what his final film would be. And then every time he does that, it, the movie doesn't happen. Uh -huh. So he was supposed to do the fourth Narnia movie. 
There was the announced Honey, I Shrunk Fourth the Kids Narnia. reboot that didn't happen because Moranis pulled out when the pandemic hit. Right. I feel like there's one other one where he was like, I'm making this. And then Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. You said kids. For oh, shorthand. He's, he's rebooting kids. And I got really excited. No, no, Ben, I'm I sorry. Like, Wait, I was, They're rebooting kids. Good news, but Joe Johnson yes. is on it. Ben, I'm very sorry. He was rebooting Harmony Kareen's kids <laughs> with Brick Moranis. What, what if he did Honey, <laughs> I Shrunk Harmony Kareen's kids? That would be... That's the fucking... Emily, if you went and pitched that tomorrow, Disney would give you $20 million. I think they And then the hire AI both. to write it. But th that is the exact fresh take we need on both franchises. Which, let's just say... Kids has been really fucking up as a franchise. <laughs> Are they going to do a fourth? I guess there, there's no way fourth, they can do a fourth Narnia because, like, all the kids are old now. They now, would have to just start again. Now they're saying they're going to hard reboot. I think someone just announced they're fucking rebooting it. Don't do Narnia. Don't just do don't Possible do it. Netflix reboot. The three oh, worst wait. words in the I English language. Wait. I can't fucking well, wait. Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is like the one of those books that's like yeah. vaguely movie-like. The rest yeah. of them are just like, what if the Bible was weirder and had right. more animals? And they don't flow into each other no. normally. So like they no. don't, it's never, it has never lent itself to, what were they going to do? The silver chair next? Correct. Like Joe Johnson was going to do the silver chair. There's also like not strong continuity of protagonists. No, they're always swapping cousins in and shit. Yeah. Horse and his boy has a ton of racism. Magician's nephew is like my favorite of those, but it's just like, what if this guy I just made a bunch of stuff. That's, yeah, that's, not a, that's a like the prequel, right? Yeah, it's, it's, that's like, it's like the right. creation myth. Right, yeah. right, right, right. <laughs> so uh, we're rebooting Narnia. Uh, so good, good news for us. No, Stoker. We're doing Stoker. I remember okay. you in, in one of your very impassioned, well-written sort of Twitter threads uh, uh, making the case for yes, uh, Park. Park when he was uh, yeah. proceeding along. Um you you made the point of just like he is one of the few people who makes movies that are still genuinely uh, sexy, yes, and sexual, yes, yes, and, and yet not in a way that is off putting to people. No. Like I, uh, The Handmaid's my favorite of his films, and it's one of the few movies um, about queer feminine desire made by a man that mm -hmm. does not feel lecherous or male gazy in any way, really. Yeah, which is fascinating. I love that he is interested in sort of our lizard brains and how affected they are by violence and sex. Yes, and, but also good way to put it. Yeah. He's like, he's like very, he's very good at not making that salacious is the wrong word and not making that feel exploitative. He's yeah. like interested in examining that and giving you the joy of violence and sex, yes. but also like making you pull back and be like, wait, why am I, why am I into this? Which, right. The, the quotes of like, you know, movies make, violence look cool you cannot make violence that isn't somewhat cool and whatever i do think he is this guy who's able to leave that bad taste in your mouth in the way he wants but i had the thought i was thinking about your thread and it's sort of making that case for the way he's able to depict sexuality cinematically uh in a way that's kind of unique especially amongst living directors um but i kept while watching this movie thinking like he can literally make any single thing feel like a sex scene. There's the scene in this movie where um, India Stoker, Mia Wasikowska's character, uh -huh. steps into the stiletto heels yes. and is simultaneously extremely sexy and extremely creepy. Yes. And I feel like yes. that's the Park Chan work, right. like Venn diagram. Right. But it's like he can make someone peeling an apple feel like it's that's like true. watching like hardcore pornography. Right. right. Um, but you know, this is also a movie where someone does a murder and then jerks off in the shower. Yeah. Correct. I mean, sort Who of doesn't hasn't, though. Some sort of. I guess sort of is. 
witnesses slightly participates in a murder. Be shy, do crimes. <laughs> so Stoker, let me give you some background Please. on Stoker, which mm -hmm. is uh, Park Chan-wook's follow-up to Thirst, correct? Yes. Right? Uh, Thirst is before this? Thirst is certainly before We're this. jumping ahead in our report you that much. Because I'm always... Just trying to remember if there's yeah. anything. No, it goes Thirst to Stoker. Okay, so okay. Uh, post-Thirst... Mm. Uh, Park's sort of like, I don't have anything in particular lined up. Maybe I'll chill, mm -hmm. you know, take it easy. Watch Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, maybe I'll throw on some some sort of mid-season, mid-run mid, mid, mid Grey's. Yeah. Uh, you know, once Kevin McKidd shows Big up. steamy years. Um, the Axe is then announced as his next film, okay. a remake of Acosta Gavras French thriller. Interesting. Uh, a sort of political genre film. Um, but then that gets dumped. That remains a sort of like, I'd like to make that in my lifetime project for him. Like mm -hmm. he talks about it. Like he was like during the decision to leave fresh tour. I think he was still like, I still like to make the axe. Okay. Um, who knows? Uh, in between Thurston Stoker, he also makes short films. He's made a lot of short films. I don't know if you've sort of dived into this. Yes. It, it, a lot of like, sometimes in anthologies, sometimes right. like basically as sort of ads, like, yeah. Like in partnership with some, you know, like Apple or something, you know, he'll make a little a little thingy. Three Extremes, is that the, the omnibus he's a part of? Yes. Okay. Um, the things he made first was called Night Fishing. He made it with his younger brother. Right. Shot it on an iPhone 4 um, about right. a fisherman that, that who was, catches a dead woman. That was a big, like, Apple gave him money to prove you could make a good movie on an iPhone Correct. thing. Correct. Right? Yes. Correct. I remember that it making a splash. a short film award at the Berlin Film Festival. Okay. Uh, the second is part of an anthology called 30 Seconds of Solitude in Year Zero. Okay. So I guess that, oh, that's like where every film is a 60-second movie. Uh, cool. 60 Seconds of Solitude. Did I say 30? Yeah. Um, so he Snapchat did that. Okay, movie. so that barely okay. counts. Yeah. And then something else also with his younger brother uh, is called Day Trip. It's an 18-minute short developed for an outdoor brand, Colon Sports. Okay. Stars Song Kang-ho, his okay. frequent collaborator. It's actually the last time they've worked together. Wow. Uh, unless they work together again. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know much else. Does he only work with his younger brother on the short films? Possibly. A little condescending. <laughs> hey, I'm doing a shorty. Yeah. Um, so, over to Stoker. Mm hmm Written by Wentworth Miller mm -hmm. of Prison Break fame. Yes. Captain Cold himself. And I heard he got the entire script tattooed on his chest first. Young that was the... Anthony Hopkins from The Human Stain. We all remember. Look the same. I just want to note that in the second season of Prison Break, there's a character named Haywire, very sensitive, who mm -hmm. looks at a painting of a boat and then decides to sail to Europe. I across absolutely a lake. remember that. But the whole thing Great with plot. the second season of Prison Break was they broke out a lot of people. Yeah. Mm. And some of them, they were clearly like, okay, like... <laughs> These guys aren't going to be in the core prison break group. Sure. So they had to do things like that where Haywire is like, I think I'm going to get in a sailboat. Yeah. Um, he just never appears again. Mm. That is whew, that is probably a show that is aged poorly. Terribly. <laughs> like, I can't imagine Teabag <laughs> is a character that, like... That resonates no. now. Teabag, how did he? Um, how did he? Uh, <laughs> did he get earn, the name? Uh, the name Teabag. I mean, Teabag is sort of like the he's the arch villain in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like he's a white supremacist. He's mm -hmm. a psychopath. I feel like people pitch a lot of guests you should have on the show. Let me just make my pitch for Robert Nepper, Teabag from TV's oh, sure. Prison Break. I think he'd be great in he'd character as Teabag. 
uh, Wentworth Miller, yes. he is known as the, uh, what's the character called on prison? Lincoln Burroughs. No, that's Dominic Purcell. Yeah. Uh, Michael Schofield. Yes. Right. They had different last names despite being brothers. The human map. Um, he was a human map. And then in season two, they did try to be like, there's actually more to the tattoo. <laughs> we got to take I-95 or whatever. You know, like it was like the earth was on We never checked the butt crack. <laughs> Spread those cheeks. <laughs> Take out a magnifying show. glass. It's it's done in smaller. <laughs> it's just one of those classic, like the reveal is in the pilot. Oh, the tattoos are a map. Right. And everyone's like, great reveal. How do you do that long term? Yeah. And the writers are like, ah, we, 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 we have this. ideas. No, we no, 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 don't worry. Don't yeah. worry. Wait, he was we got plenty of ideas. He was wearing socks the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> What's on the bottom of the feet? Um, so. Wentworth Miller attended Princeton University. Humble brag. Nice uh, education if you can get it. Um, he uh, apparently said uh, he did a creative writing program there. Okay. And was rejected and sort of, um, you know, this convinced him like, I'll never be a writer. Like, mm. I shouldn't even think about that. So into his 30s, he was sort of like down on himself as a writer. And then he says, late on one night when my DVR was tapped out. Remember when your DVR would get tapped out? Yeah. The original uh, reached the end of Netflix. Exactly. I thought, what if I write a scene? Like, you know, he'd always had this idea for this movie. Mm -hmm. You know, what if I write a scene? Who's going to know? Four or five weeks later, I had the whole thing. He wow. Says. And he's like mid-prison break run at this point? Yeah, I would assume so. When, what were the years on prison break? Prison it's like uh, 2006 to 2010, I think. 2005 to 2009. Okay. We were close. Yeah. Okay, so okay. I mean, of course, 2017 for Prison Break Season 5, which we all waited for. It's ended at this point then? Uh, Yeah, maybe it's like, yeah, I'm not yeah. sure. I'm not okay. sure. I'm not sure exactly when he wrote it. But um, he his idea is, what if I mash up Shadow of a Doubt, mm -hmm. the Hitchcock film, which this film is quite obviously mm -hmm. sort of connected to. The Stepfather, the classic 80s yeah. uh, trash Masterpiece with Terry O'Quinn. Yes. A uh, very fun movie about a bad stepfather. Remade with one of the Nip Tuck guys? Yes. The fucking other one, yes. not Dr. Doom. What's yes. the other one called? Oh. Dylan Walsh? There you Dylan go. Walsh. From Congo. <laughs> Let's all retire. Uh, and then a sprinkling <laughs> this of. This is the problem when you come on the show, Emily, is it's three people who all have this same stupid yeah. knowledge base. Yeah. Um, and then a sprinkling of Dracula, essentially. A sprinkling sure. of like, oh, what if we give it kind of a vampiric, you know, yeah. edge. Bit of a hat like, tip in the, the title. Down to the Stoker title, exactly. It, I, it was funny, though. I remember just even when this was announced as like the, the Blacklist breakout, people were like, so is it secretly a vampire movie? And they had to keep on being like, no, it's just it's just a tip of the hat. Yeah. But even throughout all the marketing, I think people were like, and he's going to turn out to be Dracula at the end, right? Um, right. Some people wondered if it was that, but of course... Wentworth Miller, who's one of those guys who I've always felt, and I say this in a nice way, mm -hmm. feels like kind of dumb smart or smart dumb. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's not about vampires. It was never meant to be about vampires, but it is a horror story. A stoker is one who stokes, which also <laughs> ties nicely in with the narrative. All right. <laughs> you can't um, say he's wrong, Dave. <laughs> no, no. The, There's stoking happening in the film. The, the person who got me into this movie is uh, David and my mutual friend Genevieve Valentine. Who ah. fucking uh, how is Genevieve? Oh. She, she fucking adores this movie. Yep. And this uh, is a very Genevieve yeah, Valentine. Her movie. her read on it. She has a very cool read on it as a vampire story specifically. But I'm not gonna. I don't remember all the ins and outs. Sure, so, but I mean yeah. obviously right. Like yeah. there is, mm -hmm. you know, um, there is sort of just a, a gothic air being lent to everything mm -hmm. anyway. And so I think you like that title. He writes it pretty quickly. 
Um, uh, and he sort of at that point was kind of like, I just wanted to hand it off. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want to direct it or anything or act in it. Like, I just sort of wanted to hand it off. Uh, he says the soundtrack for writing the film was Philip Glass's The Hours score. Makes Classic sense. score. Morning yes. Passages. Uh-huh. The Poet Acts. Just uh-huh. naming some tracks from The Hours score. Um, uh, script gets hot, makes mm-hmm. the 2010 blacklist. So, yeah, this must have been right when Prison Break was over. Sure. Um, gets a distribution deal. Yeah. Scott Free signs on. Yeah. Ridley and Tony's production company. Uh, and then he is uh, revealed as Ted Folk, the right. uh, sort of pseudonym. And that's sort of when I feel like the hype on this thing goes like supernova. Mm-hmm. Yes. Where, where it's, it's like, like you, what? you already have the buzzy blacklist thing. Then like huge producers are attached. And then it becomes this like, did you know that he... This is actually the map guy right. from Prison Break? Yes. Um, now, if Dominic Purcell had written it, that would have blown my mind. <laughs> Big potato man. Smart, smart. Um, yeah. uh, he has also written a prequel script called Uncle Charlie yes. that has never been made. Right. Probably because this film made like, you know, $2 million at the yes. box office or whatever. So it's not like people are like, Stoker prequel. Listen, but that's like, no, I'd read it. Gonna say, Emily. This is, this, is, this is a Fox Searchlight picture, which means yes. that Disney now owns it and they're yes. big on IP. Stoker so Uncle Charlie could get made. Stoker yeah. Origins. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it's true. Stoker, the rise of Uncle Charlie. Uh, okay. So Park Chan-wook, obviously, at this point, fairly major international name, mm-hmm. has never made an English language project, mm-hmm. but uh, I imagine he just had gotten to that point where a lot of scripts would probably get sent his way. Perhaps Hollywood's wrong, trying to tempt him over. But I don't even remember there ever being, like, whispers of, like, they're trying to get him for this. He's in talks for this. Like, it felt like he, up until this point in time, seemed like a guy very happy, yeah, working in his, his home country, not being lured by Hollywood, doesn't want to fall for the... The bait. Uh, he says, um, kind of a right place, right time thing. It comes in as he's finishing Thirst. Mm-hmm. He likes the script. He thinks it's in his comfort zone. So it's like, yes, I'll be trying something new by making an English language film, but like, it's the kind of story I make. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's just intrigued. Uh, he also likes, much like I'm a suburb that, but that's okay. This is going to sound demented, but he likes that the protagonist is sort of his daughter's age, and he's like, oh, make a film that she could relate to. <laughs> We've already found this narrative of Park Chan-wook trying to relate to his daughter through movies and her being like, Dad, who? what do you think of me? I mean, the thing with uh, with I'm a Cyborg with That's Okay is he's like, I made a movie for you, and she's like, thanks. I, I was more of a fan of, like, Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> yes. Like, uh, anyway, uh, but no, he likes that the protagonist is a young woman around the age of his daughter. Sure. So... Even though it's an English language script, it is heavy on image, light on dialogue. Yes. And so that's another reason he's sort of like, well, this is a quiet script. I can bring in a lot of visual elements. Well, just like. I mean, of course, he forgot to do it. This film's lacking in visuals. Yes. The camera never moves. Like my dinner with Andre over here. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) When this movie opens. Never crossfades. When this movie opens, basically, with Mia Vasakowska explaining that she's like. Especially uh, uh, like uh, extreme responses to her senses, sure, sensorial right. experiences. Right. Uh, you're like, oh, this is like his perfect material of just like someone who like everything feels, sounds, yeah, you know, more mm-hmm. extreme. Mm-hmm. Yes, because he's so good at that sort of like um, psychological tactility of like uh, this the surface of something, you know, the actual texture of a material, of a touch. I think, look, 
I don't know to what extent the Scots were involved too, but that's also kind of a Tony Scott thing. It's the same yeah. thing where like Tony Scott will shoot just a fucking street scene and you're yeah. kind of like, why is my chair rumbling? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just that that the 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 experience the mere atmosphere will be right. enough to kind of set the noise machine off. Park, Park can like have a character in hyper close up like touch a piece of paper and you're <laughs> like, like why am I coming? <laughs> All right. He's a sexual filmmaker. And this he absolutely is, is. Arguably one of his most sexual films in a very sexual filmography. They're all pretty sexual. Yes. For for not being that, uh, for being less explicitly sexual. Yes. Yeah. There's like two kisses in it. Yes. It's wild. Wow. True. Yeah. There's not a lot of actual sex in it. One post-murder shower jerk off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so obviously this is a very Hitchcockian movie. He claims, oh no, that wasn't really what interested me, but all right, pardon. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the other, uh, deviation is this is probably the first movie he doesn't have a writing credit on because mm. he would usually have a writing credit mm -hmm. on his movies. Uh, but, uh, you know, whatever. Perfect script. No, no, um, he did work on the script a little bit. He did talk oh, to okay. Wentworth before it. He had a round of notes. Uh, he also worked with uh, his his uh, co-writer for the rewrites was Aaron Cressida Wilson, who wrote oh, Secretary. Yeah. Yes, and then ends up writing the... Didn't she write something weird recently? Let's look it up. She's a playwright as well. Yes. I think she's written a lot of plays. She wrote Chloe. Remember that one? I remember that Oh, she wrote uh, Snow White. Thank you. The uh, upcoming Mark Webb Snow White. Yes. She also wrote The Girl on the Train. Oh, she mm -hmm. wrote Men, Women, and Children. It's a mixed bag over here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he says that his he says that his revisions were small. Okay. But whatever. I don't know. Um, all right. So, as you said, original three: Jodie Foster, Carrie Mulligan, Colin Firth, some cursed rumors about Johnny Depp mm. as uh, Uncle Charlie here. And I, I don't even know what would he have had to go off of in this character. When it, There's just nothing popping on the page that he could latch onto and take. Where's Depp at this point? I mean, He's I don't even know. Is this sort of like post the Taurus? High? Well, I, yeah, well, because what? No, this is not a high. This is like the same year as like the Lone Ranger. Oh, uh, sure. D this is him because 2010 is Alice. Yeah. And the Taurus. Highest grossing film ever. Well, and then you have 2011 Rango, Stranger Tides. Right. You know, uh, Rum Diary. Right. Then 2012 is Dark Shadows. 2013 is Lone Ranger. 2014 is Transcendence. Right. That's where he's really hitting to, a wall. Yeah. And Taurus is right. Is 2010 as well? Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. But no. Mia Wasikowska. Okay. So she's been in Alice in Wonderland. Mm -hmm. She's in The Kids Are All Right. Yes. Sort of a forgotten film. Yeah. Good movie. Totally good. Good movie. In yeah. my memory. I haven't seen it. Yeah. You know. Solid. Uh. She's in the um. Carrie Fukunaga Jane Eyre. Yes. Another good movie in my opinion. Uh, I like it. Uh, um, so she's just hot stuff, I feel like, right? She's just... She has a fascinating career. There was a semi-recent IndieWire piece about her and how, like, like, did you notice that she quietly stepped away from the industry? Yeah, I feel like she took a few years. I mean, there, that, there was, that was just a lot of her. That was the tone of the piece, though, Right, was right. like, there was, like, eight years where she was yeah. nonstop everywhere and kind of was a bizarre movie star for someone who was so quiet, reactive, she, delicate. Yeah, she made the Alice money. 
Yes. She made those two Alice movies. She made a bunch of money and she right. was like, I'm, she kind of did the Robert Pattinson thing. Yeah. She was like, I'm going to just make weird indie passion Help projects. Help the get their things made. Yeah. But she, she, you know, she was the Rooney Mara of her, of her very micro period where it's like, if you want someone to play a wounded bird, you it know. It wasn't that micro though. It was like, it's like five years. years. Yeah. Yeah. And right. then she basically was just like, I like I spent five years just living out of a suitcase. Right. I worked nonstop. I did six movies a year. Right. And I'm I was exhausted and I didn't know who 20s. I was. Right. Yeah. And she moved back to Australia and she's just like, occasionally something gets me off the couch. I will do Bergman Island. I mean, she's incredible. Right. Bergman. That comes to me, my I'll winner. do it. But she's like, I'm not really seeking out jobs anymore. I drop most of my representation. I'm back home in Australia. It has to really be a special thing. I have no interest in being a movie star. Yeah, she really does not work that often. Uh, she, she does still, have uh, every time she steps back on the court, she kind of nails it. Uh, she had a film at Cannes this year, Club Zero, Jessica Hausner film that was very polarizing. That was why I think she did this piece, right? Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, she's obvious casting, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, Parks, uh, very into a short film she made called I Love Sarah Jane. Yeah, apparently that was a big one for him. That's the fucking. He's like, she's very good at like minimal, like not overt expression. You know, kind of like beneath the surface Is acting. Is that the Hesher guy? That was a thing that was. Yes. It was a big fucking splash, and it kind of made her career and made his career. That both of them off of that short, which went viral, was that started getting big deals. Was that before in treatment? What year was that? I. Th think it's the same year, basically. Yeah. I think. Okay, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. obviously, I remember she was on in treatment. She yeah, was yeah. one of the treat. Treaties. Yes. Yeah. She and, was the uh, best part of season one. Right. And yeah. everyone was crazy about her performance. But that, that, was right. the, that was the springboard, really. I don't know. You keep on reading. Like, I feel like there's now constantly a stream of actresses doing press for new movies saying that they also auditioned or tested for Alice in Wonderland and really wanted that, weirdly. Vasek Kowska kind of came out of nowhere to get that part, even though, like, in treatment was such a good performance and that short had gone viral. It was like, oh, you've like never been in an American film before and now you're like the star of a humongous fucking thing. She nailed the Futterwacken is what happened she, in the in the audition. They did a Futterwacken test for everyone and she's the only one who was able to do it without CGI. She's the only one who was able to react to the Futterwacken with anything but disgust. Yeah, she held her vomit in. She swallowed it. <laughs> uh, Nicole Kidman... I feel like just part of her long run of working with interesting directors, uh -huh. it feels like one of those that she says she was just offered the role. Like, you know, they, they, yeah, they it, saw her. It out. makes perfect yeah. sense. She's and the obvious She knew who the director role. was and was yeah. like, sounds great. Yeah. Um, uh, she said in their first meeting, he said to her about the script, like about the character, like, ever since you've held this baby, this baby's never wanted to be held. Mm -hmm. Go from there. Good shit. Yeah. Um, she'd seen like uh, the Vengeance movie. She said, uh, she said, I do think I only saw half of Old Boy because I was like, oh my God. Forky vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Happy ending though, right? <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. And she was like, I'm sure it ends fine. I'm yeah. turning it <laughs> off. Um, uh, and then Matthew Good. Mm -hmm. Where's Matthew Good at this point? I feel like he is the, the he's least pretty known. Hot. He's pretty but hot. But he's, he's getting kind of hot. Yeah. But he always, his career is so... I guess Watchmen, the whole thing was that Watchmen yes. kind of tanked him in a way because everyone was like, you were supposed to play the perfect man in that movie and yeah. like that's tough to live up to. His career is so oddly stop and starty where he just like every five years would get heat again and they'd be like, yeah, of course, why haven't we figured this out yet? And then he's never totally like gained the full head of steam. I love him. Yeah. I don't know great. how you feel about good. He's so good, good and he's great. so hot. He's I, I think very, very he handsome. is good, and then sometimes he is incredible. And when he's incredible, you're like, why isn't anyone figuring out how to harness this regularly? He feels very similar to Dan Stevens to me. 
Yes. He can give a performance where you're like, yeah, you're fine. You're doing you're an fine. English guy. Right. You're handsome. Yes. And then he'll give a performance where you're like, he understood the assignment. Right. You're clapping between every word. Very and, annoying. And something like Matchpoint, a movie I know you hate more than anything, but where well, you're just like, stupid. no, I agree. <laughs> yeah, right, but sure. it's like arguably the best part of it. And it's yeah. one of those things where you're like, this is a very easy, just off the shelf, British, rich asshole character. And he somehow comes at it so specifically mm. that you're like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, he's, I, I, not to go off on a whole tangent, he is incredible on the fucking offer. He is the only actor who understood the assignment in that. Everyone, everyone who watched that show, yeah. all 12 yes. people, yeah. had that yes. takeaway at the very least. They and were like, playing, if nothing else, good is good. Is good. The whole show's a cartoon. He's playing the guy who was a living cartoon character. And you're like, he found depth to Robert Evans. He subbed in on The Good Wife. Mm -hmm. Yes. He was your Josh yeah. Charles replacement. Yeah. And he was good. He was good. It was The show it was, was tough, kind of falling apart at that right. point. Yeah. Tough moment for the mm -hmm. show. He subs in on Downton Abbey, not to bring up Don, Dan Stevens again. Right. But he's another mid-season. He's, he's the rock doing Journey too. He's like, yeah. I'll, I'll swing in. You need right. another English? You need another charmer? And prestige TV Viagra. He'd swung in on The Crown. Man. Just maybe for one season. Yeah, um, he's not in it very much. He's like the Earl of Snowden or whatever. Um, but I do. I think you're right that the the Watchmen thing. A, there was that weird thing where it felt like the industry didn't understand Watchmen as it was about to come out, where they were like, "Well, it's the 300 guy making a superhero movie. It's going to be fucking humongous. It's the most beloved comic book of all time." Right. And people acted like every actor getting cast in that movie was about to have a Robert Downey Jr. Iron Man moment. Yeah. Well, like this is going to make you iconic, and you're like, "It's Watchmen. It's like a dead end." Yeah. There are no sequels to this. And it's like, it's not asking for someone to give a movie star performance. It's asking for someone to give a dramatic performance. Yeah. Um, and in it, my memory, he's pretty blah in that He's movie. the worst. He's okay. Yeah. He's fine. But I, I even, just, I, you know what? I just fucking hate that movie. I will never I come like around movie. on that movie. Fuck you! But I, I know who you are. Mad that I'm saying that. It's also like his... I tried to watch the the mega edition yeah. of it too. Yeah, and I was like, oh. sorry. I, I like the opening people, credit people, sequence. That's the one thing. I, I like. think the opening credit sequence. I know is you do. Overrated. I know you do. It's okay. I that really works for me. And the rest of the movie, I think, kind of sucks. What do you think of Watchmen? I don't like it. I like the yeah. I, I like the opening credits, and then I think the rest Sorry, of it is badly it. understanding the source yes. material. I have always felt the same way. Yes. I know some people like Watchmen, and that's okay. But we can all live in harmony together. Much like being a cyborg, it's okay if you like Watchmen, the movie. Uh, he like being a podcast. I feel like his costume, his visual translation from the comic is the worst. Yeah, he kind of looked dorky when and he was then, supposed to look like the perfect man. That's the thing. The right. design was bad and then I remember just being like, he looks uncomfortable in the costume. This whole thing with this guy is that he should be like so supremely confident above it all. And I was like, they gave him a bad costume and it looks like he can't move in it. Yeah. Um, who was, tough role. Who was the person, I'm trying to remember who the obvious fan casting was at the time. I don't know. That didn't happen. There was someone where everyone was like, we all agree who should play Ozymandias. I don't know. In that like moment. Tom Cruise? Like, I mean, I don't know. Like, who? That was I, an earlier version of it, but whatever. Yes. Post that, I do feel like he's floundering a little bit. But this was the one where I was like, yeah, this is what I want from this guy. You know, mm -hmm. sociopath hottie, uh, you know, wears a pair of sunglasses and a polo shirt like nothing else or whatever. Right. There's something um, about yeah. him that's dead behind the eyes, but yes. in a good way. Yes. Like normally when an actor's kind of dead behind their eyes, that limits them. And, but there's something about him that's just unapproachable. Makes sense for this character yeah. perfectly, obviously. I, 
the other, I mean, a single man is the other thing oh, uh, sure. that's invoked about right. him, where he's he's the dead partner, right? He's the only yes. in flashback, kind of again, like sort of an ideal, yeah, or whatever. Um, yeah, I, good. I forgot, right, he does leap year right before this. Which was a real oh, like, yeah. maybe we finally sell him as like a I think Leap Year is okay. Leap Year's fun. Leap Year's nice. all right. It's a nice little movie. It's a nice They're little in movie. Ireland, right? Yeah. Is he Irish? Is oh, he doing he's Irish? Very Irish in that movie. Yeah. That movie's all right. Yeah. I watched that during my gentle movie run. Yeah. I had a yeah. great time. It looks nice. It's well shot. It's not cocker. Right. It's got yeah, like classic. It's pretty. Yeah, you know what? Also, just like Amy Adams is fucking good. Amy Adams? It's fucking good. What's she doing? It's not a great run. <laughs> I hear she was the lead in some fucking movie where Griffin Newman played a chipmunk, which is like career death. <laughs> well, she was good in that. But that, you know, it's always... Well, how was I in it? Well, you were, you were good, too. You were amazing. I'm just saying, don't only shout out her. I, you know, also I mean, she was good in that. I was also a cat I had range. But, it, it, look, I, it is tough to go back and... Arrival, Arrival is the last one where you're like, that was a really interesting, exciting thing. I will say this. Biases aside, I think she is incredibly good and disenchanted, but it's also kind of damning that that's the best that's movie the, that she's been in in six years. Easily the best movie she's been in since Arrival, unless you sort of count the Snyder cut. Yeah. Like, where, where like, maybe you just are kind of like, well, that's sort of an interesting even, object. Even if you like the, the Snyder cut a lot, he a lot did not Snyder. he did not know how to use Amy Adams. I don't remember her like, really yeah. mattering but in that also, movie too much. once yes. again, neither of those should be the best movie she's no. made in six years. And, like, I, I would go, like, Arrival, Disenchanted, then I'm like, like, let's set Justice right. League aside for now. I'm like, um... Uh, Vice? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. You know, I'm like, you wait, get, does it have to be Vice? <laughs> you get why she's making the choices yeah. she's making. I'm really excited for her, her Marianne Heller thing. I think that's going to click. So I just pumped for that. Are they putting it on Hulu? Like, put it, put they, it, it might games. change their mind, but that's the intent. Stoker. Stoker. Uh, bit of a learning curve for our director here. Mm -hmm. He is making his first American How production. How fluent is he in English? I Do don't know? know. Okay. Um... As far as I know, he talks through a translator when he's being interviewed. So I'm, okay. but I'm not sure. Um, he wasn't given a lot of uh, pre-production time. Mm. Uh, he says shorter than he usually gets. He's a meticulous storyboarder. Unsurprisingly, feels like he's kind of just like running gun, picture it up. He's like a Duplass brother kind of protege, right? It's like I don't know, just put up on his he feet. He sees a puffy chair and he's like, <laughs> "That's a movie. Let's film the rehearsal." Um, yes, he shoots with editing in mind. That's a, I mean, fuck, that's what the puffy chair is. Ah, puffy chair, wait a second. What if there was a puffy chair? Sparks flying. <laughs> um, I think he also does, beyond like doing a lot of pre-pro, like, uh, you know, like a lot of like storyboarding stuff, mm -hmm. he also like does a lot of rehearsals, I think, does mm -hmm. a lot of talking to the actors. Uh, Thirst shot for 100 days. Wow. It's fairly yeah. long. Yes. Stoker shot for 40 days, which right. I would say... Is fairly typical for a movie this yes. size. Yeah. Uh, if anything, these days, possibly long for a movie this size. But it also makes but, me understand maybe why he hasn't made another English language film in 10 years of like, this is luxurious. Yeah. Well, he that says, you're giving me 40. In Korea, what I do is I watch the playback of each take with all the actors and spend a lot of time discussing the take. That does not strike me as what goes on on a Fox Searchlight movie set. No. I don't think that happens on any, on American, any American director's movie set. Movie set. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and you know, he's got like, his usual thing is like, 
he has an onset assembly person, like an editor, basically, who's cutting takes into sequences as they're shooting them. Oh, cool. That's his usual process. Yeah. This is different. Okay. He's also working with different producers, you know. Mm-hmm. He's Scott. got less clout, you know, unsurprising. Like, I think in Korea, at this point in his career, he can basically, whatever he says goes. Right. Here, there's a conversation for everything, probably. Yes. You know what I mean? You know what Hollywood's like, guys. Is this the last movie Tony Scott is alive for the production of? He's, I think, they dedicate it to him. It's dedicated so, to him, but that's why I was trying to... He, he must question. be alive for the production. That's, he I died think. in August 2012, so I would assume, yes, he's still yeah. alive, but maybe just... You know, and this comes out early 13? Uh, it, it premiered at Sundance 2013, January. Right. I, so yeah, I think this was the last kind of scot-free production that he was hands-on with to some degree. Apparently, Fox Searchlight's big thing was they did ask him to push the violence sometimes in ways he thought was sort of over the top. Interesting. Um, like, for example, like when, you know, he approaches Jackie Weaver with the belt. Yeah. He wanted to cut really fast. They were like, you know, cut out before he's even in the phone booth. They were like, no, 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 no. Like, shoot some stuff in the phone booth. Sure. You see it from far away in the movie, but yeah. still, like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know why they wanted it to be more lurid, but they're, it's probably also just that classic Hollywood thing of like, well, let's just get everything and then we'll figure it out later. I think there's that. And I also just imagine they're like, it's easier to sell this movie the more we have conventional horror moments in it. Even if we're not going to use them in the trailer, it helps us to have them. Right. Uh, he also didn't like the title and Fox Searchlight insisted on keeping the title. He wanted to call it Prodder. Do you think, yeah, do you think Wentworth Miller explained to him that a stoker is one who stokes? A stoker is one who stokes. Yes. Um, I, I am the one who what stokes. What do you call this movie? Like, it's not like I'm like, yeah, stoker, bad title. It should have been called, you know, The Lonely Girl Murders. Like, I don't, like, what you know, Saddle I, Shoes. I kind of think Stoker's a good it's title. great title. Yeah. My uncle is a serial killer, and that's okay. Yeah, that's a good title, too. Although it does give up, it does give the up the premise a little. You could call it Uncle Charlie. I know that's what this supposed like. I suppose, but like that's kind of that's a boring title. title for this. Yeah, yeah. I cannot imagine how uninteresting the Uncle Charlie script is. Not to be rude, but I'm like that sounds like the kind of thing where that's a good writing exercise to have all of that in your back pocket sure. as you're writing this movie. Give yourself context. Yes. But like this movie has two flashbacks to Uncle Charlie before he arrives at the house, and you're like everything I need to know about this guy. Now, the other thing I will say, and this is a critique, but a sort of understanding critique, mm -hmm. is this film was shot in Nashville. Mm -hmm. This story is clearly steeped in Southern Gothic storytelling. Yes. Mm -hmm. Doesn't feel Southern in any meaningful The cast way. is almost exclusively Australian and British. Yes. A lot of the references to, like, geography are California references. Very much. bizarre. He yeah. seems to be setting it in nowhere. Yeah. Even right. though, like, when you're watching the movie, you're like, this isn't set in, like, the bayou or something? Yeah. Like, to you what, know. Middleville High School or something? Right. Yeah, where, um, where are the Gators? So I feel like there is a bit of a push and pull where he says, like, I was going for more, like, timeless, nondescript, sure. you know. Uh, which doesn't make sense to me because I'm like, this story screams like, you know, fucking Crawdad should be it, singing. <laughs> <laughs> like, or whatever. There is like big, maybe this is just the presence of Mia Wasikowska, but there is like a big Bronte vibe yeah. to it. So you could see this being said in like the Scottish Highlands or something. But that, I think it would work almost in any location yeah. rather yeah. than no location. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Mm. But that's the thing about this, which is why I think it rubs some people the wrong way. It's all stripped out, so it's just, like, all style, and yeah. it's all, like, archetypes. Right. And that vibes for me fine. Yeah. 
But I think I imagine some people were just kind of like, what can I grab onto here? Well, it is like, like you, know. you know, she you realize she goes to high school, which seems like a weird thing that she goes to. But like then she shows up and she's just in Riverdale. Like she's on right. the CW series Riverdale. Right, the karate kid Riverdale, boys. if Reggie wanted to punch women. Yeah. <laughs> Like, Jesus, relax, but it's Lucas, still. Like, it, it, it is also like anytime there's a character from outside of this house who comes in, they're just coming in from another movie, which yeah. is a vibe that I like. But. I like that, too. Right. Yeah. I mean, I right. If I were bullying, um, Jesus, what's her name? Uh, India. Yeah. I would. Yeah. It would be like, what, you, what, what, what fucking novel did you just walk out of Saddle Shoes, girl? Like, <laughs> I can't you, know, what you is forgot this? her name is India, India. Stoker. <laughs> Very normal name. Yeah. Um. Yes, uh, you know, but uh, he's turning it into more of like a general fairy tale, I feel like. Yeah. You know, dark fairy tale. Well, I think, look, uh, uh, massive spoilers ahead, right? Yes, but I go think ahead. the thing this movie does that is so interesting to me is it basically plays this game of like, I, I don't, I would not say it's a twist film, right? No, because it's pretty obvious that something is afoot immediately. Right. But, but what it's playing with is this expectation of like, which person in this house is the problem, right? You right. sort of start off the movie with the, like, Ice Queen mother, right? Then Uncle Charlie comes in, who's a little bit too good to be true. Mm -hmm. And you're like, so are they up to something together? And is our lead character in danger? And then you get to this point where you're like, no, it's about the fact that she's also yeah. kind of a problem, Right? right. And I like that it's like the clues are kind of there from the very beginning, the opening, the hunting, all that sort of shit. But he's sort of using against you the idea of like, you know, the thing that gets fucking jumbled in stupid film Twitter discourse all the time mm -hmm. of Those like, guys. if the character is the protagonist, we must like her. She must be relatable. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ignore all the warning signs, much as Nicole Kidman says, right? I'm going to ignore all the warning signs that are clearly there because I want to love her because the movie is putting her at the center of the story. So clearly she must be the hero, the victim, the person I need to be rooting for and, and looking out for and everything. And then you get to this point halfway through where you're like, she is infected with the same shit that he is. Bad blood. Right. Bad blood. They both have like the curse. Right. right? And then as the movie goes on, you're like, oh, Nicole Kidman's the hero of this movie. Right. And she's also been sort of aware the whole time. Right. Rather than like the um, you know, Gertrude. Right. You know, in the minute in the beginning, you're like, oh, it's Hamlet. You know. Yeah. Uncle came in, knocked off the dad. Right. Yeah. He's just like getting in with the mom. She's Hamlet. She's gonna figure it out. There's even though a point where like once again Vaska Vasakowska is like maybe he's like a problem. Maybe I actually do need to he's so much worse than I am, I need to get away. Sure. And then at the end she comes out and it's like, oh, she's just fully a serial killer now. She loves doing this. And her, but and like the thing is, even when you see her dad, who's this beloved figure, he is like training her to kill her yes. uncle because he's Dexter's dad. Like right. he's, I'm coming in to like give you the serial killer, yes, knowledge that you will need. The outlet. Now, Dermot Mulroney, yeah, who plays India's father in this film, in flashbacks, in flashback, mm -hmm. is 14 years older than Matthew Good. Yes, what's going on there? Well, look. It was supposed to be Colin Firth at first. I think this part was supposed to be younger. Yeah, that would make more sense. They, Good is right. actually weirdly too young. They do right. set up that the kids have a pretty large age gap in They the, do. Yeah. Which I think does work for that flashback scene of there being this relationship to like, he's a little bit more of a 
co-parent than just a big brother. Right. And so he really wears the responsibility of, I, I let the other kid die. We're going into deep top spoiler territory. Yeah, well, we're spoiling, yeah, we're my, spoiling the movie already. My week. bigger thing with the Dormant Mulroney casting mm. is for so much of the movie, they're implying that he's this disgusting old fat guy, right? They basically do this thing of like, you're so much younger than your brother was. Sure. Like Nicole Kidman's getting so turned on by this like more virile version of her dead husband. Right. And they make all the jokes of like, his clothes are a little loose on me. This belt is oversized. And yes. then you see Dermot Mulroney, the ultimate silver fox. And he looks good. Yes. It's not like he's hideous in this one. No, looks I feel nice. like they're making you think that the dead father's John Polito. That would be funny. And then it's like an hour and change before you finally get a flashback to him. And you're like, yeah, the guy who famously has aged better. Fucking MTV Movie Award Best Kiss nominee. Oh. That hair American lip. quilt. Um, I, I like Dermot Mulroney. I do, too. I'm just going to throw it out there. I just he's think great. he's a fucking steady presence. Um, although, have you seen Scream 6? Yes. Have you seen Scream? No. I have not. One of... He spills a tub of paprika in that movie. <laughs> I mean... I mean, it's... He's, uh, it's, it's a bold performance. He's, yeah, interesting yeah. in that movie. I'll right. He say. watched other actors in Scream and was like, this is too subtle. <laughs> in like the Scream series. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I do generally like Dermot Mulroney. But yes, okay, sure. the plot of Stoker is... You got India. She's always gotten a pair of saddle shoes on her birthday. She's very feely. She's very quiet. Yeah. She's very weird. She feels things intensely. Yes. Uh, she's got Nicole Kidman in uh, sort of like frozen face mode as her mom. That's always going to be, you know, it's uh, Stafford wife mode. Right. Emotionally distant. Right. Right. Her dad is now dead in a car crash mm -hmm. inexplicably on her birthday. Yes. Uh, and guess who's in town? Uncle Charlie, played by Matthew Good, who has never even been spoken of before. Right? Who claims he just like came in from Europe? Yeah, and is a, an international businessman of great renown. Uh huh. And uh, he's crazy. Yeah. Not to be, you know, too blunt about it. No, this is he's crazy yes. and does murders. Yes. I think um, you could you could have given this this movie the title "My Crazy Uncle" and like the poster could have been Mia Wasikowska like. Head tilted. Gerard Depardieu <laughs> behind him like a jet ski or something. Um, um, yeah. Th this is a movie where I'm like, I, it it feels incorrect to say like, uh, he is suffering from mental illnesses. You're like, no, he is movie crazy. He's yes. He is, uh, he, yes. or in the grand literary tradition of crazy people, right. he's one of them. Right. Crazy is the only way to describe His this. His reaction it is to problems is yes. to murder. This is not how a human brain works. Right. This are, is movie crazy. There are human obstacles. He will, he will remove them with murder. Yes. And a belt is always involved. He's very fond of strangulation with belt. Yes. Um, and... You know, five minutes into the movie, we're all like, well, he killed her dad, right? You know, like, you know, and she's sort yeah. of piecing it together, and you're like, is this what the whole movie's going to be about? Right. Not really. No. That's what I like. It's that sort of, like, magic trick thing of, like, he's making you look at the wrong thing. Yes. Right? right. You're watching him being like, why are they taking so long to, like, unfurl this guy? And it's like, right, because it's about her. It's about distracting you from the fact that all the warning signs are there. All the red flags are there. Yeah, he's... It feels for a long time like an inversion of Lolita in certain ways. And mm -hmm. then he is grooming her, but grooming her to be herself in right. some weird way. It's Right. He sees the, the whatever, the crazy in her. He's removing the, the sort of uh, the blocks that Dermot Mulroney has built around her. Um, the blinders. And he... To spoil the film, I don't know why I'm worried about spoiling the film. Jesus, it's a 90 minute movie. You can rent it on Amazon. That's good. Um, and it's good. But uh, he's not Amazon's company. 
Sure, I agree with you. Uh, he is explicitly asked to be released from the mental institution that he was actually in, not mm -hmm. Europe. Sure. On her 18th birthday, because he's decided in his head, like, when she comes of age, she can become his, you know, the Bonnie to his Clyde or right. whatever, you know. He's like, been obsessed with her since she was born. Right. Despite being uh, kept as far away from the right. beginning, he just has the sense of, like, you're a mutant, too. <laughs> I feel like serial killers needing protégés is like a harmful stereotype. Like yeah. actual serial killers. Plenty of serial killers are perfectly self-sufficient. <laughs> but I do like that there's sort of this like, we need to talk about Kevin thing where this girl's born and everyone's like, oh, fuck, she's a killer. How do we, like as a baby, you get the sense that everyone, Dirt Mulroney was like, okay, I have to create like a real regiment around like not letting her murder other human beings. And Matthew Good is locked up in an institution. He can just feel it the second she's born. <laughs> right. I, Somewhere another force. killer. Yes. yes. Right. Um, so, okay. So Richard shows up. He's hanging around the funeral, being cute. Charlie he shows up. Richard. Sorry, Charlie. Not yeah. Richard. Mm. Uh, uh, Charlie uh, argues with the, uh, the maid, mm -hmm. played by Phyllis Somerville, the great Phyllis Somerville. Mm -hmm. uh, great stage actress. I think recently did add. Uh, yes. 2020. Um, she, she, every year, uh, uh, Derm Mulroney would get his daughter a pair of saddle shoes. There's yes. this crazy fucking, you know, the, the shot sequence of the shoes shrinking. Beautiful box with size. a bow on it. And this is her birthday. Her dad left her, which is unlike him because he loves her and he's such a doting father. Right. And, and he, she checks the best sniper rifle teacher of all. The right. box, it's empty. Mm -hmm. Phyllis Somerville's like, you check again. There's a key inside. In there. And she realizes, like, the presents weren't from you? Weren't from... Oh, weren't from dad. They were yes. from you. Right. Um, and I guess the implication is the maid has been sort of Charlie's sort of avatar. Correct. In she, the house. Like, his go-between. The go-between, yeah. And so the saddle shoes... I don't... There's this whole thing with the saddle shoes where the saddle shoes represent innocence and yeah. not being a serial killer. Yes. And putting on high heels represents embracing one's womanhood and becoming a serial high killer. High heels are like the knives of the feet. Can't kill someone with when a saddle When you talk shoe. about this movie, it does sound like an F minus one star piece of shit. <laughs> I love it. But they, no, yes, I get why certain people are like, fuck this. Like, yeah. I feel like this is one of those movies where like the people who didn't like it were loudly scoffing in the theater. Like, oh, come on. Uh, so, but yeah, he argues with the maid. Guess what happens to the maid? It gets belted. She gets, she gets put in the ice cream tray, yeah. uh, ice cream freezer. Yeah. Um, you know what flavor of ice cream she was surrounded by? Belt. <laughs> what else is going on? Uh, she's being bullied at school by a... a Lucas Till. Yes. Who is crazy. Yes. And keeps threatening to punch her. Yeah. Like, and like, I just like, this is one of those things where I'm like, what is going on? Where like, it kind of has the dynamic of, not to be gendered about this, but like a boy picking on a boy. Yes. I'm like, it, it feels less common for the jock at school to be like, let me like, you know, threaten to beat up the emo girl. Yeah, but also maybe he's smart. Maybe he's like, I'm getting huge murder vibes from her. We need to put her in her place. Guys, I'm not like punching down. I truly think this is self-defense for the entire town. Right. Uh, and then you have Alden Ehrenreich, mm -hmm. who I forgot was in this movie. Yeah. His name's Whip. Playing Whip Taylor. Whip Taylor. Uh, who is um, presents as a more like-minded student, yes. a more sympathetic teacher. Sure. Yeah. Another outsider. Another outsider. Yeah. Motorcycle boy. Wrong side of the tracks. Um, who kind of helps her, whatever, deal with the bully. Although she really deals with the bully herself by stabbing him with a pencil. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what else is going on? Uh, Nicole Kidman's there. She's just going like, hey, isn't, isn't Charlie so nice? Jackie Weaver pops in. Jackie Weaver pops in. Everybody in this movie is somebody, and they come Aunt in Jen. for like two scenes, and they're Weaver, gone. Jackie Weaver, r- high off her second Oscar yes. nom? Yes. Good for her. A wild double nominee. One of the great two double double nominees. Who then Hollywood has never quite figured out how to use, being like... She still does stuff. She works constantly. Yeah. Yeah. But I love her. Yeah. I feel like she should be the boss in a TV show or something now. She should be the fucking chief on the next CSI or yeah, NCIS. Yeah, the, the FBI Memphis or <laughs> whatever. She should fall into the good wife universe. That feels like where... She could be a wacky lawyer, judge. Yeah, she could be... They could they could give her what, her own show. What's what's this good wife spinoff with the, the wacky... Elspeth. Yeah. Yeah, I don't How, know. Is that a good character? I mean, Sure. One of those characters that's very fun on that show. Yeah. You know, like, comes in, you know, has a fun episode every so often. You're like, ah, crazy. I don't want to speak ill of the Kings because I think they make good television. Mm-hmm. But Fantastic. I do I do think, you know. Has big the Tortelli's energy. Let's put it that just, way. Th- th- there's a certain point at which the minecart might fall off the track. <laughs> I'm just saying. I've They're never, taking some wild curves at this point. I've never watched a uh, wife nor fight. I saw the trailer for that when the pilot got picked up. Yeah. And I was like, this feels like New Girl Detective. This is a spinoff of this like August, deeply respected two King, series run. The Kings, uh, Evil, one of the great shows on TV right now. But oh, The Kings sure. should have made Wife Fight. That should have been their next show. The Wife Fight. Great. The Wife Fight. Um, With Glenn Close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, Aunt Jin shows up. Jackie Weaver. Mm-hmm. Hi, how are you doing? Here's Uncle Charlie. And yeah. Jen's like, well, that's weird. Yeah. Can we talk? Nicole Kidman's like, sure, let's talk later. Right. She's like, okay, okay. I'll go back to my motel. Does- she also says we can talk only in front of Charlie. Right. She's not like, hey, Nicole Kidman, can I pull you aside for a second? At dinner, she's like, Nicole Kidman, can we make plans later to talk privately about this guy who I don't want to hear what I have to say to you? Um, does, does Nicole Kidman know about that's the dead my brother? Qu- this yeah. is exactly my question. If Nicole Kidman is is up is is aware of like something being wrong, why is she then like, yeah, I'll talk to you later, Jackie? I don't know. She seems like she's sort of condemning her to death there. Yeah, yeah. I should probably just not. Worry I think about she's it. not. I think she doesn't know. Right. She I, maybe doesn't know the extent of this, or she's willfully blind to it. I also think she's more suspicious of India than she is of Uncle Charlie. I right. think that's sort of the explanation is that she's just like, my husband's dead. Did my daughter do this? Yeah, I mean, and this does have that movie thing where, like, the the quote-unquote crazy guy does such a good impression of a normal person that in the reality of this film, you wouldn't necessarily think, well, he's clearly a serial killer because he's acting in a very heightened way, but in a movie that is heightened. I suppose that's true. I might have my suspicions. I don't want to sound like Sherlock Holmes over here. Sure. Um... So Charlie kills Aunt Jen at the motel in a phone booth with his belt. Well, she says, I'm going to the motel, gets in the car, immediately says, where else? Right, Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that cut to him saying, her getting, where are you saying? The Biltmore. Gets in the car. Are there any other hotels in town? Biltmore. What? A little Easter egg. She does. Staying at the Murder Inn. She stays at a different hotel, but she still does get more of the belt. Um, (laughs) David? David? (laughs) That's the door, right? Yeah. That cut from her go. saying, are there any other hotels to just wide shot of her in this horrible motel room uh-huh. sitting there waiting to be murdered? 
is really funny to me. It, it look, I also just think Jackie Weaver is really funny. Like, yes, just her sitting is funny. Yeah, there's just something. She's got that crocodile smile. Yeah, just kind of inherently like very heightened about her that I think is good. I agree. I, I'm very pro Jackie Weaver. Um, but she's yeah, I don't know. She probably can play subtle actors, subtle characters, just not in Hollywood. This movie's just fast. Like you describing the plot of it, I makes me. It's just a person enters the movie, they are killed. A person yes. enters the movie, and it, it shouldn't yes. work, but it does. It shouldn't really work. Um, what happens after that? Well, then what happens after that is the whole encounter with Whip, where um, you well, the know. piano scene. Okay, so the best scene in the movie. You're yes. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And that that that's the scene. That's the scene. That's the scene. That's the scene. Um, yeah. Does that happen before or after Jackie Weaver? Pretty sure that happens after, after yeah. the murder of Jackie Weaver, but before the murder of Alden Ehrenreich. And cross-cut with uh, Matthew Good uh, belting Jackie Weaver right. in the phone booth is Mia Wasikowska finding the other dead body in the freezer. Correct. So right. she now kind of has all the information. Right. And um, he, the day before, had been getting piano lessons from Nicole Kidman, in quotes, and uh -huh. been like, I don't even know how to play the piano. And then you have this scene where... India is sitting at the piano playing a Philip Glass ditty, mm -hmm. an original piece of composition for the film. Yes. And Who was originally hired to score the whole film and then ended up just doing the piano pieces? According to JJ, that may be a misconception based on the fact that Glass wrote this one piece of music. Okay. That, like, maybe there that was, was a thought that, that's, that he was going to do the whole movie. Clint Mansell uh -huh. does the score. Yeah. Um, but, uh, look, the film was written to the hour's soundtrack. Got to get Glassy in there. Yeah. You know, you got to throw up a pane. Got to shower some glass. Got to double glaze it. <laughs> How up. many more of these puns can I do? Throw up a pane. <laughs> uh, and there's this scene where he joins her to play double piano, mm -hmm. and it's like they're bucking. Yes. I don't know how else to put he it. He tries to like, it's like he's trying to absorb her. It's like. And he's like challenging her. He's like, what if I do, 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 do? And yeah. she's like, oh, I know how to and do this. And their feet are getting tangled around the pedals. They're sharing the bench, yeah. you know. So sexy, so creepy. Everything we're saying sounds like its own euphemism. <laughs> These two sharing the bench. This whole movie's a euphemism. Push the pedals. And obviously, yes. Mr. Alfred Hitchcock, mm -hmm. director Park's favorite, was the king of, well, they won't let me show fucking in the film. So right. I'll instead I'll make a scene where it's like they're fucking. That's what he sounded like. David? Yeah. Wonderful. That was an incredible impression. What he, I've seen enough. Alfred Hitchcock to know that's what he sounded like. They should reboot Alfred Hitchcock Presents with, with, and have you do the introduction. <laughs> I saw there's a play called Hitchcock Wand, mm -hmm. uh, which I think had a Broadway run. Okay. Um, that is like a, a very strange play by Terry Johnson that's like a double narrative of like Alfred Hitchcock meeting a woman that he's casting to be in Psycho. Okay. Or something like that. He's casting for something. Uh, and a media studies professor and his like student unearthing. Oh no, that's what it is. meeting a woman who he shoots a test reel with. Okay. And the, this media studies professor unraveling the test, like, you know, finding it. And it's all about Hitchcock. Was I, that made into a movie or am I remembering a thing from the forest? You're remembering something from the forest. <laughs> Let's not even talk wow. about it. 
Um, but you were absolutely right. I think, but no, no, because there was at least there was the movie with Hopkins that I never saw. It was Hopkins, right? right? Yeah. yeah. With but then um, wasn't Helen there? Mirren. There was the girl. Was that what it was? That's called? another thing. That was a TV movie, right? That's that's the Tippy Hedron. Right. That right. was about making Marnie and the birds or right. whatever. And Hitchcock is about Psycho, but right. No, this the, is the more girl abstract. is more about the complicated relationship. Yes. of the Hitchcock blonde. Uh, and Rosamund Pike Pike played the Hitchcock blonde. Okay. And okay. Uh, David Haig played the uh, the media studies professor, but William. Hootkins played Hitchcock, who Jeff everyone may know Porkins. best as Porkins from Star Wars. Which, speaking uh, of... Uh, who just had a great Hitchcock vibe. They didn't have to do much in, work. No, incredible. Yes. The name William Hootkins what? already, you're like, this yeah, guy what can play. What name? Well, you, first, you think that he's probably someone who can turn into an owl at will. <laughs> William Hootkins. Or produce many owl babies. But I just the remember Hootkins. walking out of there being like, so who was that plane? Let me look at the plane. You know, I'm like probably like 16 years older. Yeah. And I was like, wait a second. That's Porkins, <laughs> the guy who dies one minute into the trench run. Well, you speak about the deep southern fried <laughs> veracity of this movie. Old Texas style sheriff shows up in this film played by Rick Ollier. <laughs> Uh, yes, uh, Ralph Brown, Naboo right? fighter pilot, uh, who is uh, the, the the I believe he's the one in Phantom Menace who delivers the classic line: uh, "We didn't do anything when when fucking Anakin's blowing up an entire base." Or yes, <laughs> we didn't hit it. Uh, yes, Rick Olea, you're right. He plays the uh, the Southern Fried Sheriff who gets um, garden sheared at yeah. the end of the movie. Which, like, I'll say... Worst I w- sheriff of all time. I don't want to say he had coming, but he really fucked up. He shows up to their house being like, so, what's up? Uh, you know, this kid got murdered. Yeah. You were last seen with him. She's like, I don't know, I was here. And Matthew Good's like, I was. Yeah, I was here too. And he's like, see you later. Sounds good. By the way, the maid that disappeared, any word on that? And they're like, no. And he's like, yeah, you know, people go missing all the time. What's why- My car's running. <laughs> What's wild about him is he actually, yep. you watch him ask all the right questions and then right. ignore the answers. He's like, okay, I'll see you later. Huh. Matthew Good saves her by having memorized TV schedules. So that is, that's true. He mm. comes in with a PBS, uh, you know, fucking Moliere was on or what? I can't what, remember what it was. Uncle it's Charlie. Yeah, there the, you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was Uncle yeah. Charlie on the Oscar watch forms? Was he, he was. A, was he a television without we pity were guy? all like, I'm not sure about this guy, but, uh, you yeah, know. But he, they don't say what channel PBS is on because, of course, this is not set in a specific place. No, of course not. So it's a nebulous like, PBS. Channel 13. Uh, no, uh, Emily, no. I feel like we're we're uh, moving through the plot quickly. Uh, are th- are there things we've breezed over that you want to touch upon at all? As no, because I feel like forward? I feel like my whole vibe on this film is, is you know I'm going to come in at the end and give in. We have to summarize what happened. Wild exactly. reading. It's the classic that, Emily yeah. move. Okay, you yeah. have a wild reading. Okay, well, so all right, so Whip, um, you know, there's the whole scene where he kind of saves her. Yes. Um, they wander out to like a diner. They make out. She bites his lip. Well, no, he saves her. Then she goes to the diner in the middle of the night after she solved that her uncle oh, is yeah, a she, murderer. After the ice cream uh, revelation, she goes there. He's basically like, "What are you doing on the wrong side of the tracks?" Right. Yeah. A- and it's like, I'm I'm here to fuck in the woods. Uh, she bites his lip, and he's like, you know, wow. Right. And uh, he makes some comment about like, I, everyone says you're weird. I didn't know you were that weird. And she says like, don't blow this for me. She says something like, yeah, like, sh- 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 you know, right, right. I'm not actually interested in you talking. No, and also like, I don't want you to be into this. That's not the juice I'm looking for so here. It's just like men are evil. Like men don't. Certainly, men don't go from zero. Men go from zero to sixty. You, you can't know, throw them too far. You know who else are evil in this movie? Everybody. Women, except for Nicole Kidman. Well, Nicole Kidman's bad. Two-thirds um, of the movie is making you think, is she the worst person in this film? And at the end, you're like, she tried. 
Yeah, she got dealt a bad hand. She yeah. should probably just not have. She whatever, did try. Maybe she's know, got some character defects, but she tried. With, uh, she did her best. Mulroney. She did her best. Mixed up with the Stokers. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a friend whose maiden name is Stoker. It's a, it's a, it's a cool name, Stoker. I think um, if I married into the Stokers, I could have handled it. I think I could have made some things happen. This is a classic Ben proclamation. If what, I were like, the lead of the yeah, movie, ben, it would have worked Stoker, out. You're like, Uncle Charlie shows up and you're like, all right, uh, I'm going to buy a plane ticket. I'm out of here. <laughs> what are you doing? What's your, what's your, what's your move? If I, I, you're India. Right. I'm India. So you're probably uh, not a serial killer yourself. I, yeah, no, I, you haven't been activated. No, no, I haven't been activated. I guess I would, um, turn him into, um, a, uh, killer for hire on the internet and make money. You take a, a commission. Oh, you would be like, Hey bud, I like your moxie. Yeah. Let's make some money. Listen, let's yeah. do something with Is anyone repping you? Have belt yeah. will travel. Yeah. I can make a website, no problem. I know how to use Squarespace. <laughs> Let's also uh, call out, there's this art art <laughs> class scene where they're all doing a, a nude uh, figure study and they go to her painting and it is, she's doing like tr- truly just like cubes. They're just painting flowers. And oh, like right. she's painting the I'm interior sorry. of the vase. And right. then this this Look other guy like, does a naked drawing of <laughs> He's her. He's like, this is eyes. you. <laughs> I want to do this yeah. to you. Shoots rings out of his chest. <laughs> Lucas Till, I want like I want a movie about that guy, just like the bully who also is like a good artist but uses it only for evil. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm the king of the campus. Gonna sit on this abandoned chair. And also like only bullies people who maybe need to be cut off at the pass. Lucas Till's performance is havoc in the rebooted X Men trilogy. It's one of the most insane performances ever. Uh-huh. He seemingly gets younger with every movie, Correct. even though like, ten years are between it. Like, <laughs> he's somehow supposed to be Cyclops' younger brother. None of it ever makes it's sense. My, my second Dexter reference, because I keep making them, but mm. they should turn this into Lucas Till being a bully who only bullies other bullies. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's how he gets you. Yeah. Right. God, he's only 32 years old, and he's met Creech. He's got a whole life ahead of him. We got to shout out the art teacher, though. This is why I brought it up. Ben, who is playing the art teacher? Mr. Feldman. Largely out of focus. My boy, Harmony. It is Harmony Kareen. Kareen, Kareen, Kareen. Kareen. Yeah, Kareen uh, Part is of his the art teacher. Not weird, really sure why. Weird collection of acting roles. He did that season of Girlfriend Experience. He's in Manglehorn, where he's one of the leads. The David Gordon Green, Al Pacino, keymaker drama. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Pacino plus Cat. I have not seen that. Ben, no. if you thought the keymaker <laughs> had a lot of keys. In the Matrix. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay. Wait till you okay, be Manglehorned. I'm intrigued. Wait till you get Manglehorned. Dang. Um, yes, he is in this film. I, yes. don't, I mean, it's not a major role. No. Ben, who would you cast Harmony as in like a one scene cameo? Well, I mean, because he's, he's done so many great yeah. ones. Taylor make a role for Harmony Corinne. Damn. I don't know because he's... It's like uh, the more recent cameos he's done, he's like playing against type. And I like when he pops up as just a fucking weirdo and uh-huh. says one weird line. Right. Mm. You want him to be like in a John Wick as like Mr. Crazy? Yeah. Wearing oh, like a garbage bag? His yeah. character name is The Creep. Mr. Crazy. Yeah. King of the Creeps. I'm the Creep King. I, you know what? I'll send my I, army of this? creeps after you. He shows up in some fucking Star Wars thing. Oh, yeah. sure. And he he plays the type of character that I love in stories in general, which is he's a little head attached to a bigger guy. A little guy. <laughs> is part of the thing. And he's like smoking some kind of futuristic sort of 
tobacco weed, like sort of yeah, future. It's a future sig. Mm-hmm. Future sig. What, what if what if like Michael oh, right. Shannon is sig. is the big guy? What if we attach Harmony Corinne to Michael Shannon? Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. the two the two creeps. Yes, brought together. Yeah. Okay. Goes, I hate this guy. Look, <laughs> we have to just acknowledge that she makes out with Whip. Yes, it's all going okay. Right. But then she bites his lip. Uh, he gets uh, very aggressive all of a sudden, right? right. And is basically uh, about to rape her when, right. well, because he's like, you can't open the door and then yeah, invite right. me in he's or kick me out, bullshit. whatever. Right? It's this, you know total heel turn from yes. seemingly nice Alden Ehrenreich. Yeah. And uh, Uncle Charlie shows up and first like hog ties him. Yes. And is like, all right, have your fun, Mia. While he's still on top of her, like straddling yes. her. And she kind of kicks him a bunch or yeah. whatever, but she's not going to kill him, probably. Yeah, they show this later, but then he, like, grabs her and tries to... Uh, Alden Ehrenreich grabs her and tries... And I feel like at that point, I would have just given up. Yeah, I if Uncle Charlie's like, hogtied yeah. me, I might be like, okay, right. I'm out. He's like, I, I still might be able to make this work. <laughs> I'm this close he's to getting late. He's the fucking knight from Monty Python. He's, like, yeah, on one leg. Truly. And he's like, I don't know. I mean, right. Let me see. He's just reaching for his zipper. And so he... Uh, Charlie strangles him with the belt and then breaks his neck. You see the sure. the, the head kind of jerk back uh, mm-hmm. in a you know unnatural manner. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then India takes a shower and whacks it, <laughs> which is the real moment where you're like, okay, she is not some you know sort of innocent in the middle of a spider web who's trying to navigate all this stuff. She is right. she is perhaps like you know. Carrying the same curse. And then that's basically when she has the conversation with Nicole Kidman, I think, when she's brushing her hair. Mm. You have that amazing fucking transition Mm. where it goes to the hyper close-up of Nicole Kidman's hair with the brush running through it. And then, like, so gradually that you don't even catch it. I reround this three times just because I was stunned by the craft of it. It turns into, like, fields of grass. There's so much stuff like that in this movie that is mind blowing. The yes. the one I love is when she's reading all the letters and it turns into her face. Yes. The, is this yeah. This is why this is the speed racer of yes. abusive family movies. But she basically like admits to Nicole Kidman like I'm the bad guy of the movie. Yeah. What's your move here? Uh, but she says the like I always thought my dad took me hunting because he loved it. He yeah. was trying to. Sometimes you need to do something bad to stop someone from doing something worse. Because you're in. Uh, India's point of view for basically this entire movie. There's a few yeah. scenes without her. It is like, it does feel like the um, Uncle Charlie is like the scenes that would just be him is like him on his phone reading the wiki how on like how to activate a serial killer because yes. he has this very like methodic process he's going right. through of like, this is how I'm going to get her to be also like me. Well, I I like that this movie it feels supernatural and that it treats the idea of being a serial killer like it's like being a werewolf. Yeah. Right? What's well, a vampire movie? Yes. Yes. And you basically have this father who has like seen it in his brother, couldn't mm-hmm. stop it, right? Mm-hmm. Spent the next decades of his life trying to make sure his brother was just like contained and off the map. Right. And then from the moment his daughter is born, he, like, sees it in this fucking baby's eyes. Like, she's Renezme. Like, she's got these, like, <laughs> yeah. nightmare adult eyes from the moment she's born. And he's just like, well, she's my daughter. I will love her no matter what. I need to create the circumstances that somehow prevent her from ever being triggered. No one can ever utter the code words that activate her. <laughs> right. You know? Right. And then Matthew Good just, like, unlocks it. And she's just like, oh, right, this is who I fundamentally am. 
to be fair, he like puts a corpse in a freezer and like leaves it for her to find, which yeah. seems like a yeah, like pretty a real, triggering. And then he was just tra- leaves her, yeah. slips her a note that says, "Did you like that check? Yes or no?" Big yes. So, um, when she uses that key, mm-hmm. which has been sort of lingering. That's when she finds uh, that it opens Richard's desk drawer. Right. It's filled with letters that Richard, I oh, sorry, that Charlie wrote her from his mental institution. Well, it's these like wildly sort of like romantic looking, right. like gothic her. letters. Yes. Which we're seeing them in sort of the opening credits, but you don't really know what they yeah. are. Right. And then it's like, right, here are 18 years worth of letters he's written about the connection he has and to they're all from like Percy one, never one met. two, three, Looney Bin Road, you know, well, Savannah, Georgia or whatever. he's talking about all his travels right, and his right, journeys right, right. in this country and that country. And there's the thing earlier at the table where like when, when Jackie Weaver's there, and she's like, Europe. Right. Nicole Kidman <laughs> says, like, it's so nice of him to take his time time out of his busy libertine lifestyle in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, and right. Jackie, Europe is the thing that, like, triggers Jackie Weaver into, like, red alert, red alert. Right. So then you're reading these letters that are like, is he? W- w- was he doing what he says he was? And then after she reads all the letters and gets kind of, like, enchanted by them, only then as she's leaving the study does she turn around and go, like, what's on the back of these envelopes? And every one of them has the stamp that's like, as you said, one, two, three, Looney Binway. I just love that. I do too. <laughs> There's a gun in the drawer too, which implies that yes. whoever gave her the key is intending her to kill Uncle Charlie at some yeah. point. But she reads the letters and is not freaked out. She's like, hmm, interesting. And I like that you have, right. as you're saying, the speed racer editing's happening. You also have, um, it's going between his voiceover and her voiceover. Yeah. Her hearing his voice in his head and her kind of like, falling into the narrative. Right, which is confusing, I would say, yeah. initially. You're kind of like, wait, is this some secret correspondence that they had? And you're like, no. This right, is did all they have a relationship that you're forgetting about? Right. But she's willing to tap into it. I also um, love when she turns around and sees the the Looney Binway address stamp. She, like, looks at it like, wait a second. And then she flips to the next one as if, like, well, maybe this one's actually from France. He was just there for a week. You have her flip through every single letter to be like, all of them? I'm like, it would yeah, be the funny if was, there was, right, yeah. One is postmarked Portugal. from Nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, just different, crazy, like, right, yeah, he actually <laughs> yeah. got moved, Asylums, moved around, but right. just, he did a he tour. To, he right. went to Arkham. Switzerland, yeah. he went to uh, Portugal. Asylum to crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, mm-hmm. um, at this point, I guess the sort of dilemma of the film or the, the, the you know, the hook for audiences mm-hmm. is like, okay, so is she now just all in going to be his apprentice and that's what the rest of the movie is going to be they about and the, the hidden twist a little too is is he so much of a threat that even she's scared right and then of course the hidden twist is no she is going to you know kill him off like she she right. this is you know she's she she perceives a threat she knows what he wants and she knows how to manipulate him yeah um, she does want to like protect her mother on some level but also doesn't want to be her mother's daughter which no. i think is a fascinating dynamic to yeah. explore um, is this when the flashback right. is yes so yeah. i Layered into all of this are the revelations that Charlie murdered Richard with a big old rock in the car. Yes. 
Uh, you know, he uh, rocked him. The only reason he would miss her birthday is if there was something more important that he needed to do. And he had to go pick up Uncle Charlie. Right. And unfortunately, he forgot to bring his rock shield. Who seemingly like... <laughs> he forgot to bring his paper. Paper. Let's be honest. Good point. He's like checked Good himself point. out of the institution after seemingly like Harley quinning one of the women who works there. Yeah. I mean, he's stuff for old old Charles. Yes. I would get I would get Harley quinned. Yeah. By I'd be like, sure, buddy. Matthew, yeah. Get you out of here. You got to get while the getting's good, you know, with an E. And then, of course, the deeper, darker revelation, which I feel like we see initial flashbacks here, and then mm-hmm. we sort of see the final flashbacks a little later, of they had a third younger brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was his name? Jonathan. Jonathan. Right. Mia Blasikowska asked him, what happened to Jonathan? And uh, Charlie was jealous of the attention Jonathan got from Richard, so he buried him in a sand pit. It's the one move. It's part of Chambliss' move. It's like, you got to kill somebody. It is one of the... It is It is a creatively brutal way to die. Yeah. Um, very disturbing. Um, and so that's the also, I, story of the Stokers. What could go wrong when you have a deep child-sized pit... <laughs> A sandcastle right in front of it, and a bunch of digging tools. Don't let Charlie near the digging tools. He does like to bury people because he buries someone in the ice cream, you know. He puts it right at the bottom of the slide, and then it's like, hey, Jonathan, come down. I feel like... slide into this hole. Even even a two-year-old is like like not going to slide into him. But this is where I do think the, the age difference helps. Yes. Is that it's like his jealousy of the brother paying more attention to the younger kid makes more sense if the oldest brother is a little bit of an adult. I also love the tension of the lawnmower is just running. Yes. You know that you intellectually know that Richard has run very far away from it, but it seems like it's going to come and like mow off one of their feet or something. And there's another kind of speed racery moment where you're watching the flashback and then the camera pushes into the shed where it's adult Charlie at his typewriter watching... Yeah, right. We're like the memory the as he's sort of re- writing like the tale. his head on a little boy's body, and yeah. then you go in and, oh, now it's the little boy. It's so, yeah. I think it's pretty movie's excellent. fucked up good. But this yeah. is, I just think this is like an okay script where Park correctly is just like, let's lean into Directs the sort the of mania of it, of it right yes. at every turn. Yeah. Like, let's make no moment uninteresting in this like lean, yeah. you know, thriller. Like already lean, very sort of like, over-the-top and silly thriller. You mentioning the uh, sound of the lawnmower. The the sound mixing in this movie is unbelievable. Yes, yes. The- I notice sound a lot because, you know, I work in, in fiction podcasting mm-hmm. where we have to listen to fucking sound design all the goddamn time. And it is unreal how good this movie is at evoking the way it is to kind of just hear everything. Yes. But not pay attention to any of it he is one of those filmmakers where you watch one of his movies and you go like why aren't most filmmakers using sound as this much of a tool yeah i think most people just use it as like just functional means to an end just get the clean audio on the day the coen brothers are like this as well where it's like they pump up the unreality of every sound an additional 10 to 15 percent in a way that really makes you feel it yeah that feels like it gets at some ecstatic truth. And I think this movie has this very flowery score, but it's really smart about when to like pull back and go totally silent or focus in on the sound of it, one bug. Mm-hmm. There's that moment after the fucking piano sequence when it's, it's like they get to the climax moment and then she turns around and he's gone and then it cuts to her knee mm-hmm. and there's the spider slowly unfurling on her knee. And it's like, it's so quiet, you can hear the legs of the spider brushing against her stockings. It's good shit. Yeah, the the use of sound is 
impeccable, but also the use of silence, which yes. obviously is a sound design choice in and of itself. Um, is is the he's so good at that in all in just the way that he creates the sense of being imprisoned by that sound in a yes. weird way. It's yes. great. And even the way he uses silence, you're like, his like silence is amped up. Yeah. It's like he turned up the volume on the silence. Everything in this movie, like the use of color in this movie yeah. is astonishing. The use of blood splatter, the way that Mia Wasikowska is always dressed in very off-color outfits until kind of the very end. Yes, mm-hmm. she's styled as like a child out of time, basically. Yeah. 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 In fact, uh, well, I watched this with some friends who I, I thought would dig it, and they really did. And they were, they assumed the movie took place in the 70s until mm. somebody mentioned that it was technically taking place in the 2010s. Sure. It does it does have that feel and it does. She dresses a little bit like a uh, Annabelle. <laughs> the doll? The doll. Yeah. The killer doll. Yeah. The I doll that Annabelle. just sits there and you die. <laughs> my favorite my favorite thing in the Annabelle movies is when uh they are like they are like looking they're looking to escape the house and they go into this crawl space and Annabelle's just sitting there. Yeah. And it cuts to them going, whoa, and then it cuts to Annabelle. Well, it. they just were like, here's the role. She can never come to life. Yeah. So what is the crux of these movies? She just shows up in a different place sitting still. Love Annabelle. Right. Um, Annabelle is cool. Um, and I support her. Um, I did hear that Matt Healy is going on Annabelle's podcast, which is not a great look. All right. So the final act of the fire. So we have this, the shoe moment, which we've mentioned. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like clearly... Charlie thinks this is his I'm speaking the kill phrase. Yeah. Right? You know what I mean? Where he's like, once she puts on the shoes, then yeah. where we've locked in serial right. killer or protege. Like an MK Ultra like agent. The thing is, it works. Yes. He does act, he does finally complete activating her. It just she needed a, just another five inches of height. <laughs> Those are good shoes. They are. Yeah. Good shoes. Um, and uh she seemingly is like, cool, bro. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's go. I get it. I'll pack a bag. Mm-hmm. Let's go on a murder spree around the country. New York City, baby. Right, exactly. Uh just if you could just, you know, Kidman for me, yeah. that'd be great. And he's like, We'll do. See you in a minute. Uh, and uh while he's doing that is sort of the big turn, and you have all this stuff that's layered in of well, like I'm her sorry. with her dad. Before that. And you Nicole have... Kidman's giving her big speech, yes. Her big speech happens before she sends Charlie into the room with but her. After the shoes. Right. I believe. It's yes. sort of the it's following all, it's morning. all right in the right. moment. Yeah, right. She in the goes to her and Kidman sees everything. She's yeah. like pieced it all together. I think one of my favorite shots in the movie is for some reason this room has two doors. I don't know yes. why it has two doors in, but uh uh Charlie's standing in one and it's open, and you know that Evie, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Is behind the other door and it's closed. And he and when he crosses behind the closed door, you know shit's about to happen. It's yes. it's so it's such an economic way of of creating menace. Yes. Uh, I, I just think Kidman fucking kills this she monologue. She does. Because Kidman does have the character in this movie where you're like, huh, like, Oscar winner here, yes, of course she can, you know, she can do this in her and sleep. And Nicole Kidman, she disappears kind of for but 45 af- minutes. after the first 20 minutes, right, she's right. not really in the movie, and you're kind of like, eh, she's just playing the, like, patsy, you know, she's playing and the dumb, sort of like, this you is know. like obvious casting, like, right, what, right. what would draw her to this? And it's all this monologue, right. is that she gets to be the turnkey for the entire movie, this, really. This movie got four Fangoria Golden Chainsaw Award nominations. Okay. I looked this up. Was Nicole Kidman one of them? Oh, I yeah. feel like she Great wasn't. Question. Because well. she, she got a lot of, like, she was one of those people who got hype at the end of the year. Is like, this is one of those overlooked performances. And I right. hope Fangoria recognized her. Uh, let's see. I do feel like there was this run of Nicole Kidman doing really interesting work in performances that people were like, in a, in a cooler world, she would get an Oscar nomination for yeah. this. 
And between whatever it is, between the hours and Rabbit Hole, yeah, she's just never getting the Oscar nomination that she wants, clearly. She did not get nominated. I'm sorry. Lily Taylor won Best Supporting Actress that year for The Conjuring. Deserves a good win. Sure, yeah. great. Uh, Julianne Moore in the Carrie remake. Uh, Tristan Risk in something called American Mary. Uh, Amber Childers in something called We Are What We Are. Yeah. I do like that uh, the Golden Chainsaws do do swerve. And then Julia Garner also in We Are What We Are. Uh, Nicole Kidman got a Fright Meter Award nomination good, I'm good, seeing good, here. Good, Yeah. Um, very deserved. Um, ooh, worst film of the year went to Texas Chainsaw 3D. Rude. Mm. Conjuring really swept the chainsaws that year, though. I, looks they, like. they, I get it. Good ass movie. Uh, I love the Conjuring. Yeah. Um, yes. Okay, so Nicole's big monologue is basically Oh, I'm like, sorry. I'm sorry. David, this is very important. The International Online Cinema Awards gave Nicole Kidman the win for Best Supporting Actress for their halfway awards. They can't wait till the end of the year, so they do an award for just the first what? half of the fucking first year. Half of the you, year. Now, have you heard of the International Cinephile Society? It's no. It's very... It is a hoity-toity group that gives lots of movies to international awards. David's leaning back on this do tangent, you, and I'm leaning you, in. Do you know who started this organization? Emily St. James? David Sims. What? <laughs> Why are you bringing that <laughs> shit up? <laughs> it was... Uh, it is insane that it still exists. And now they have, like, PR, I and know. they get written up everywhere. What? There I was... Know. And on the on the Oscar forums, there was a thing called Inoka, which was the yearly right awards. I have I've never seen this much shame <laughs> on his face. <laughs> and and uh, David and a mutual friend of ours named Learned, Learned Foot. Your old roommate. Started Learned Foot? Learned yeah. not even, Foot. That is too deep a rabbit hole to go down right now. Anyway, that is his name. He was created by Wentworth Miller. <laughs> he kind of was. <laughs> Learned Foot does feel like, if I told you his, his life story, it does feel like he walked out of uh, Wentworth Miller's script. <laughs> The unproduced um, one. Learned and I did start the ICS as as a as a um, as an, arrival. As a, to a fuck you to the Anokas, and now it is like this huge thing. I know, that, like fucking Justin Chang is <laughs> is in the ICS, and I'm, I'm not. So, I cannot believe I didn't know. <laughs> I think about I stopped it. submitting my ballots years ago. I you're think they speaking me about up. this like you're Robert Oppenheimer, and this was your comic. <laughs> but you hate that you brought this into. The I world. Know, I'm glad they do. They do their thing. I mean, it's totally great. I was there for a long time too, and stopped submitting, and now I like I look. At it last year, I was like, Who the f how are all of these people in this? It's good work, David. You did wow. it. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know why that came up. Oh, did I did Stoker get an ICS? No, or you something? said somebody said International Online Cinema Society, yeah, and that that like pinged my rate, my David Sims radar. Yeah, yeah so, I was halfway at words. <sighs> so, you're actually father to three children. It's just so I was like 16 years old, that was your first child. Maybe I was old. Maybe and I was in college. The whale you adopted and abandoned. You and Learned then yeah, had shared. Hot. You and Learned had shared custody, and eventually you both abandoned yeah. the child to you know, be free. Uh, I was like uh, Nicole Kidman in this movie, being like, "Look, you know, you got to do your own thing." But I I've always wanted child. to watch you suffer. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm happy the ICS is exists. I, I, you think I'm embarrassed by this. I'm not embarrassed exactly. It is just bizarre that it still exists. I don't think you're embarrassed at all. I no. did start it this when I was like, a teenager. If I reveal when I was 15, I accidentally like created uh, fucking CSI Miami or something. And I'm like, I, just, I don't know. The ICS I is not as successful me. as CSI Miami. I don't know. I just It was a mistake. I feel like you'd be getting a lot of residuals if you created I, CSI I, Miami. I Whereas I don't, yeah. Do you get any residuals from the ICS? Uh, no. Okay. Is there money to be made? I don't think so. Someone holds the copyright, too. 
Well, it ain't me. I'll tell you that much. Shit. I didn't do any work on that. Uh-huh. Who's this guy, Cedric? Uh, he, he's an oh. escort member. He was on the boards. <laughs> yeah, he was on the boards. What was his name on the board? Uh, Herman Ross, I think. Maybe. Maybe. I don't, I don't remember. So. Uh, I think he eventually changed to just Cedric because that was his first name. Right. And yeah. then I think he Remember left. Jesus Alonso? Yes. Jesus How's he doing? Alonso. Uh, you know what? I'm sure he's fine. Okay, good. <laughs> talk about that later all right so we got to get you added to the about page yeah listeners oh, um, ics yeah throw me what their damn mailbox fyi editor uh, sorry creator emeritus uh, david sims the end of the film mm-hmm. it looks like charlie's gonna kill evelyn yes good's gonna kill kippen right and then he and india will go off together yeah the first time you saw this film did you assume the twist was coming? Like, did the sort of intercutting with, you know, her and German Mulroney looking through their guns, like, was that enough for you to kind of be like, nah, it ain't this. Like, this is not just like, you know, the dawning of Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie. I, I think what I like about this movie, and I think uh, Director Park is particularly good at this. Uh, Handmaiden's another one that does this, where you're like, He's going to keep upending this so frequently right. that I cannot predict. It can't just be like what I think is what the happen. landing right, point is because right. it's not like he constructs movies around one twist. He constructs movies that keep on fundamentally changing your sense of the reality. Right. So I just I I didn't think I could get ahead of this movie because I just didn't know what he was ultimately leading to. Right. But I, I like that Kidman's sort of like it's it's the when you talk about Kevin thing. Yeah. You know, there's that early moment when after the funeral you hear the two women uh, joking about like, and who's going to take care of her now? Her mother, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. coldest woman alive. Yeah, and they're talking about, it and she's right there. Right, <laughs> and it's like I do think she is inherently a somewhat cold person. Yeah, but also it's like she just kind of immediately isn't just like I hate my child mm-hmm. out of like some weird brokenness. Is just like I have been scared of you forever. Yeah, I could not allow myself to get close to you, and I was terrified by everything I saw in you. Yeah. And I think everyone should have just benefited from some, you know, group therapy, well, family trip to the ice cream parlor. Yeah. They should have brought in Gabriel Byrne. Bring in, his, right. His get everyone in treatment. Every, in treatment. Because it was four different episodes. <laughs> yes. Like a week, right? So you get Mia, Nicole, yeah. Uncle Charlie, and Richard. You do them all. Or maybe Auntie Jen, whatever. It would yeah. be funny if season three of In Treatment was just Stoker. Just in treatment where and he's then, like the my toughest case of all. The last episode is is him with his therapist. So it's just every he's like, man, this family's fucked up. Right. I don't his know therapist what to do is for played that. by Wentworth Miller, and he said, Your, her name was India. Let me get that down right. Um, yeah, right. And he's also, by the way, where are we? Yeah. How did I, I don't know? I just woke up in this room. I don't even know what city I'm in. There's that premise in so many movies where like a psychiatrist is like going to write a book about their crazy yeah. patient sure. who then kills them. I feel like that would be a perfect fit. Absolutely. Oh, if Burn just at the end of the Stoker. day. Yeah. 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 Um, I, uh, love how Gabriel Byrne in, uh, Hereditary. Mm-hmm. He's secretly playing like a sitcom dad. Like yes. nothing goes right for that dude in that movie. Right. The whole time he's just like, what the fuck is the matter with you? It's like everyone. <laughs> right. They're like, what? He's, he's like, like, Jesus Christ, you're all crazy. And then finally Tony Collette's like, we are crazy. A demon cursed us. Right. And he's like, will you shut up? I just need you to relax. And then he gets lit on fire. But you play, <laughs> he accomplishes nothing. You cast like inherently intense 
Gabriel Byrne to basically play Lydia's dad in Beetlejuice. Like when you really do rewatch Hereditary and are like, this is a dark comedy. His yes. character is the one who is the most like, you know, befuddled comic character. Absolutely. Um, anyway, I uh, love Gabriel Byrne, who's not in this movie. No, instead. Matthew Good is shot, which Nicole Kidman is relieved by because now she's not going to get murdered by him. And then she has to kind of look at her daughter with terror and be like, I guess you're just let loose on the world Thanks, now. But right, like, you know, see you later. Yeah. Right. Thanks I for... never want to see you again. Right. There's um, a really good cut back to Nicole Kidman lying on her bed where you're just like, she's catatonic. This woman is just broken. Yeah. And then she leaves, and uh, the sheriff pulls her over. Is like she, she lures him in by speeding. Hurry? Right. Yeah. She's like, the hurry is to get you to pull me over. And yeah. he's like, what? And she's like, she's got the fucking like cool hand Luke reflection in the sunglasses. Yeah. It's a great yeah. shot. Yeah, it's um, praxis. And she <laughs> the cop in the, <laughs> the neck with pruning shears for no reason. In 2013, uh, people were like, "What a dark action!" And in 2023, you're like, hmm. "Yeah." I. I I will say if I'm her like serial killer advisor, I might not be like, don't kill the first cop you see. Sure. But I guess she's like, that'll tie up any loose ends if I murder the sheriff. Uh-huh. I would love a movie where you were a serial killer advisor. Like you were not a serial killer yourself. Right. But you Before were, they do yeah. anything, they're like, oh, yeah, I was thinking about killing this sheriff. And I'm like, no, uh-uh. That's Look, not the move. I think that's cleaning up loose ends, loose ends. But also, I just imagine with the ending of this movie, she is about to murder every single person she talks to from here on out. Um, let's play the box office game. Okay. okay. I mean, I give great. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Before we play, I'm so sorry. Weird ass reading. Exactly. David. Emily, please. Main attraction. <laughs> So, uh, obviously, I come into these uh, shows and tell people how everything is about being trans. Right. Not this movie, though. This, mm. movie's, this movie has some weird gender shit. Um, I am very drawn to uh, movies about abuse that don't really make logical sense, but make sense if you start thinking of them as movies about someone who is part of an abusive family Grander, dynamic. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like, I, I love all of Ari Aster's films yes. for that reason. Right. Like, people who are watching them being like, Bo is afraid didn't make sense. No, of course, that's the fucking point. He's right. trapped in this cycle. Yes. Right. <clears throat> no, and I was, I was going to say the way that abuse alters your sense of reality, your sense of memories. Yeah. Like, a, a sober, removed depiction does not get at the emotional truth. And the problem with telling a story about abuse is that um, there's this book by Hanya Yanagihara, um, A Little Life, which which is literally just very blunt about these characters were all abused and like goes into such detail. And the problem is once you start reading that much detail about abuse, it becomes a thing you could detach from. You mm -hmm. just fundamentally cannot appreciate it or, or understand it. So sort of like talking about it through genre, a genre exercise is the way to do it. And like, this is really a movie about the grooming and sexual abuse and um, violent abuse of this girl that turns her into an abuser herself. Mm -hmm. And her father's been grooming her, and her mother has been turning a blind eye to all of this. Sure. And yep. her and a blind eye to yeah. everything. Generally. And her brother comes in and and like I don't know how much that's intentional on the part of Wentworth Miller, but Park Chan Wook certainly seems dialed into it. And it's it's a movie about trying to sort of understand the ways in which the family that you were raised in is fucked up and failing and like getting trapped by that. I like movies that make sense in terms of trying to uh, understand them as the character basically dissociating from themselves throughout. And that really feels what Indy is doing here. So I, I, I read this movie as a movie about coming to terms with the fact that you don't just live in a dysfunctional family, but you live in an actively toxic, abusive one that is yeah. creating violence and horror throughout the world. 
And that really plays into all of Park's strengths, like the editing, the way that things blend together, the way that nothing makes sense, the way that time sort of gets dilated, the way that um, flashbacks are intercut, almost like having repressed memories come back is just, it's it's really uh, astonishing. I I agree. I think it's a great take. It's very interesting to think about this because that all makes sense. And yet I'm also like, did Wentworth Miller, who may well have written this as like a deep expression of these things these sorts of thoughts or did he write it as like no i'm gonna write a pure fucking dracula revampy kind of like the visitor from out of town like you know genre exercise really tapped into deeper things but i i think you do have to give wentworth miller credit for this script he has said that he hasn't been able to write again because like this just kind of and i wonder it was like the one thing thing in him where he's expressing like go ahead did write one other film okay the disappointments room Oh, Forgotten, right. which he wrote with DJ Caruso. Now I haven't seen it, yeah, so I don't know much about it. He did yeah. some interview recently where he was like, "I'm I really struggled to write since you know the early." And I wonder if he just like had this thing inside him he yeah. had to express, which often is like like a lot of my writing before I got into like trauma therapy was literally like if you listen to season two of Arden, it's just me processing a bunch of shit that happened to me without realizing I was doing that. Yeah. And all the people I worked with on that show were like, well, we assumed you knew. Um, I just I wonder how much art is created out of a space of like, I don't want to look at this thing, but I'm going to write about it anyway. I think a lot. And look, he's been he's it, talked about suffering from depression. Yes, since he's he been very open with a lot of his mental health struggles. And yes. it's it's very tied to why he has increasingly stepped back from the entertainment industry, first from being on camera and even then from from writing as much. Um, Wenty. Wenty. Script. I think he's a good guy. Give it a shot. I think this movie's like, and that's interesting to think about in terms of how this movie presents mental illness, which is like a prison you can't escape from. Like you are trapped in this way of thinking just by virtue of how you were born and it's impossible to fix or deal with and sometimes you just have to stab the sheriff. What's the final message then? Is is Stoker, is, is old India about to have a great life? You know, well, has she has she made some breakthrough? This is, okay, now I'm going off of what you're saying, right? Yeah. But a thing I've been uh, uh, stewing on a lot recently is like, how doomed are you to become your parents or not, yes. right? Mm-hmm. And sure. I, I a classic, think, a classic right, theme in literature. right. But I think almost all children are either, uh, whether consciously or unconsciously, living in the shadow of the model that was presented to them by the adults in their life or trying to be the exact opposite of that, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, And this is a movie in which everyone from the moment she's born, whether they even are present for her birth, is sort of like, fuck, I see who she is. And everyone is trying to kind of shift her away from her innate being right mm-hmm. they're sort of trying to like don't replicate my sense bomb yeah. before mm-hmm. it goes off right mm-hmm. charlie's like spiritually trying to affect her from a distance her father is trying to find the outlet for it and nicole kidman's like i just need to disengage and all three people fuck her up equally yeah in different right. ways all trying to find some way to control her behavior make her in her image push her away from who she innately is whatever it is right yeah i do think that's the thing it's more speaking to not like we're all inherently cursed mm-hmm. but the sort of like as much as you try to control the outcome the more you actually probably push along to an inevitability the problem with parental abuse is yes. that it is it stems from a you know i have a child now so it stems from this idea of like i need to help you 
do this thing. I need right. to have and abuse just becomes I am going to turn you into the person I think you need to be right. because I think I think I know what's best for you. Like yes. right now I do know what's best for my daughter. I'm the only one who can feed her. She can't do it herself. But like, mm -hmm. you know, 10 years from now, that's not an appropriate way to treat her. Yeah, yeah I can't handle that. Also, I don't like thinking about that. I'm always going to know what's best. Right? Okay, yeah. You'll be the first 100% successful father. That's David. why you're India's advisor. Yes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, that's the thing I think this movie is really getting at. That, you know, it's it's this sort of like, much like shit, like, like werewolf stories, a lot of supernatural fiction is tied in this sort of like sins of the father, the bloodline, the familial trauma, the cycles that you cannot avoid. There is something nestled deep inside of you. Try to fight it as you might. It's there. And the problem with the trauma plot as presented by Hollywood mm -hmm. and is increasingly turned into a series of tropes. I which think I you find, have written very, yeah, very well on over the last couple of years. I find really disquieting as somebody who's been through a lot of trauma therapy. The thing about it is, you know, you turn it into a thing. The Marvel movies all do this. You can yeah. punch it at the end. And I think that's fine. There's a catharsis to that in a certain way. But I love the way, because I think a lot of Parks movies are about yeah. this way that you get trapped in an experience you can never escape. And I think that's why I love him. I remember when Decision to Leave was coming out, it got a lot of Oscar buzz mm -hmm. because Bong Joon-ho, of course, had had huge success with Parasite. Yeah. Bong Joon-ho is very good at catharsis. Like, I'm not trying to say that in terms of, like, he makes, you know, less like less good movies. I think catharsis is an important thing. I think the thing that will keep Park Chan-wook from ever being as big as he is in America is... He just it makes, makes movies that leave you feeling really unresolved and gooey and weird. His endings are unsettling. He sticks you in the place you hoped you'd get out of. Right, yeah. right. He puts right. you in the hole and starts to, like, dig the sand on top of you. Yeah. yeah. India cannot escape her family. No. And, like, I mean, I can tell you it's really fucking hard to escape your family. You have yeah. to work really hard. You have to consciously work really hard. Most people don't want to do that. And most people have pretty good families. So, it, like, you pick up a couple bad things from your parents and then you maybe think about them with in therapy. But there are some people who are just raised in hell and never escape. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, you know, it's scary. Which most good horror is tapping into something so... Uh, innate in our being uh, mm -hmm. some universal sort of element of the human experience in that kind of way and I think I think this movie through whatever everything you're saying uh, does that I, I mean and talking about the trauma plot thing not to spoil another movie and I'll speak about this as vaguely as possible for a 10 year old film I've talked about a lot on this podcast but I'm like Babadook's a movie that does that fucking well mm -hmm. where it's like you have to live with it yeah. yeah you can defeat it in a way that resolves the movie but it's never vanquished yeah and I, I, I do, yeah, I, I think that a lot of what we call so-called elevated horror yeah. is mm -hmm. about this, is about realizing that trauma is unresolvable. Right. And to a certain degree, you can learn to live with it and you yeah. can learn to be a better person that has it lurking inside of you. Right. I do think there's an alternate read of this movie that is in essence like all vampire stories about the ways that rich people are perpetuating trauma on the world. So yep. it's sort of like succession, Park Chan-wook's succession. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I, I think I think this movie is fundamentally about abuse and the ways that abuse replicates itself. And every character in this movie is abusive on some level or another. Yeah, yes. And and also it's just like the fundamental tragedy of this movie is like... Not Aunt June. She's all right. Yeah, she's the one good person. Yeah, she's all right. She never did anything. <laughs> I feel like Jackie Weaver should just play the one good person a lot yeah. of the time. Obviously, she isn't in some movies. But. Um, the, the fundamental tragedy of this movie, in my mind, is that no one ever figures out how to talk to her. 
right? Mm -hmm. You're like, the thing that really dooms her is everyone is, as you're saying, going, I think I know what's best for her. Mm -hmm. And you get the sense of like, no one actually is really listening to her. No one really knows how to talk to her, relate to her. They're only viewing her as a problem or an accomplice or, you know? The tragedy of parent-child relationships is how often you cannot, you cannot see your parents or your child as a person until it's too late. Yeah. Well said. Stoker premiered the Sundance Film Festival Mm -hmm. in 2013. Released in March by Fox Searchlight. Didn't expand beyond 275 theaters. Nobody really saw it. This is very much the kind of movie... Fairly mixed reception. I think people thought might have, like, breakout potential in a sort of post-Black Swan, this is art house horror kind of world. And it had this very, like... You know, welcome to the family. You know, these sort of posters of them all standing there. What is the twist in this thing? You imagine if A24 released this today, it would make $10 million easily. This is the exact kind of movie that, like, there is now a model for that they know how to market. Where even if people were mixed on it, the fact that, like, men gets to $10 million domestic is like, well, they made it a conversation piece. Whereas Stoker, people are just like, eh. Babadook's 2014, and that's kind of the start of that wave. So just, just fucking missed it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if there's a version of this movie being a hit, but... Um, I want to repeat that. Men made $10 million domestic. Hey well, you know, fucking Angus T. Jones showed up for it to sing the theme song. I don't know. Men, 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 men. men that will be men, stuck men, in your head men, for a week men. now. Um, yeah, and review... The thing was, I think, I assume they were hoping there would be, like, raves that could help propel it, and instead the reaction was very mixed. Right. So that probably didn't help. I remember this getting very bad reviews, and instead it got, like, very... There were people who fucking loved it. There were some raves, and a lot of, like, eh, you know, a lot of that. But once again, I think people who disliked it were like, fuck you. Yeah. There was a lot of, like, flipping over a table, like, this is bullshit. Uh, so... What, What was the widest it went? 275 screens. Wow. Not very good. No. So, obviously, on this box office game on March 1st, 2013, it's opening number 33, seven mm-hmm. screens, 160 grand. Okay. Um, number one, though, it's just one of the most forgotten blockbusters in March history. 2013. Yep. Is it, it's not 10,000 BC? No. But it's close? 10,000 BC is like fucking Citizen Kane compared to this thing. Fuck. Uh, no, it's, uh, yeah, okay, directed by a sex offender. Uh, okay, or alleged, I should say, alleged uh, sex offender. It's not. It's not a, a Brett Ratner. Nope. Is it Jack the Giant Slayer? It's Jack. Well, yeah. The Giant yes. Slayer. That was. Right. Pe- the people went and saw that. Um, like an anemic number one, right? Twenty-seven million dollars, right? Which was so like not a, a very calamity because it cost two hundred million. It was expensive because they had to make all them giants. Yes. Uh, have not seen. You know what's wild about Didn't that make 200 movie? worldwide. I know, and they were like, we're all going to lose our shirts on this. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah. You're like, how badly do you miscalibrate a fucking Jack the Giant Slayer movie that $200 million is a calamity? Not just an underperformance, but a calamity. Divisions are going to get, like, completely shut down at Warner Brothers because of this movie. And it also feels like Jack and the Beanstalk is one of those stories that people have kept trying to make into right. a thing and it never like, works. Who gives a shit? It feels like it should work. Yes. It's, he climbs up a beanstalk and kills a giant. It's golden. I just Nothing feel back. like anytime someone's like, have I got a pitch for you? Yeah. You know that fairy tale? I'm like, no, no. get the fuck out of here. That's not a blockbuster. I've definitely said this before on the podcast, but just... Everyone knows Jack and the Beanstalk. So what? So what? That doesn't mean they're like, I gotta see that. Right. 
I everyone don't want to see a big beanstalk. Everyone also fun. knows diarrhea. We've all met diarrhea. We don't want to see a fucking movie about it. There are a lot of bad things we all know. Speaking of diarrhea, number two at the box office. <laughs> I no. just want to. I want to say the one thing that is what? insane to consider, with everything we know now. What? Brian Singer attaches himself developing Jack the Giant Slayer, and then he's like, "I'm ready to return to X Men. I'm going to do X Men First Class." Yeah. They wanted him to do X-Men First Class, and Warner Brothers was like, we will sue you if you leave Jack the Giant Slayer. Right. We need to make Jack the Giant we Slayer. Need, and we need you to do it. That movie could have been shut down so easily. Right. Everyone would Everyone have, have gotten out of this. Right. right. And two studios were fighting over who got to make a $200 million movie by a guy who doesn't like showing up on set. Number two at the box office. Yes. A comedy hit. In its fourth week, it has made $107 million. Is it... Identity thief? It is identity thief. People with forget Melissa McCarthy. How robust the McCarthy run was. Uh and Bateman, right? Yeah. Yeah. The Bateman's era of uh what's the title of the movie? Playing the guy who's like uh, Well, that uh, obviously. Uh, playing, yeah, playing playing the Basters. High a little loosen. <laughs> playing the Mia Wasikowska on the uh My Crazy Uncle poster. Yes. Uh, Bateman, despite never feeling like a comedy A-list movie star, had a surprisingly solid run in comedy movies right before they ended and he just went to prestige streaming TV before anyone. And then he won the Emmy for directing Ozark and made the Identity Thief poster face when he won. Yeah. Best director alive. Smartless. Um, yeah. But I was going to say, it is funny. You look at the title of the Jason Bateman hits. And they are all just first pass titles. What's this movie about? Horrible bosses, an identity thief, game night. <laughs> so good in game. Office night. Christmas party. Every one of them you're, is just, you're not wrong. The there was is, not a lot of focus group. I yeah. think he kind of cracked it though, where it's like, you know exactly what this movie is. The title's couples describing therapy. the thing, and Jason Bateman's head tilted. He's a like, couple's there. Hey, he's right? a good straight. I want to see that guy struggle around that thing. Yes. We're moving on to number four at the box office. No, sure. sorry, number three at the box office. Mm -hmm. New this week. Teen comedy, or not teen, actually, because it's about people turning a certain age. Hmm. Hmm. This is a forgotten Well, film. Man of a Certain Age was a TV show. Not a bad one. 21 and over. 21 and yeah. over. Yeah. I forgot that movie. John entirely. Lucas and Scott Moore's directorial debut. One of the... Starring the big three, Miles Teller, Skylar Aston, and Justin Sean. Yeah. What if the men from Men of a Certain Age starred in 21 and Over? If I it was Brower, Romano, right. I don't the other guy. Too I old. think 21 and Over with a sort of supernatural big style twist of they've been waiting to be old enough to drink their whole life and now they're getting it in middle age. Like they all wake up and they're 47, but their IDs work. I mean, I just, how much do you think 21 and Over made domestic? 25? Number four at the box office is maybe Dwayne Johnson's best film performance that's not Pain like Gain. Pain and Gain. Oh, that's fuck. not Pain and Gain. Best starring role. Uh, huh. Highly underrated film. This I think is not you right, like Southland Tales. Snitch? Not Southland Tales, which is a good movie. But I feel like he's sort of supporting in that. I mean, it's an ensemble piece. The film is Snitch. Right. Snitch, I love. Rick Roman was Smith. John Bernthal is fucking unbelievable. That is an early Burnfall where you're like, this guy, right. like, what the fuck? Right. You know, the guy from the class is going off here. Yes. No, that's that's a the, this house is not well built guy. Yes. I was like, is <laughs> turned he, into a bodybuilder? <laughs> he be winning an Oscar for this performance. He's quietly the lead of the movie and he's unbelievable. Um, yeah. Uh snitch snitch fun. Yeah, All right, number good. five, a horror sequel, uh, with a hilarious title. Hmm. Hilarious. Sort of an oxymoronic title. Uh, uh, oxymoronic. Uh, is it because it has like dead and alive in the same thing? No. 
something like that. What? Yeah, Horse sequel. Is one. it a two? It's a two. It's a part two. And it's a subtitle. No. Is it, is it The Last Exorcism 2? Oh, okay. The Last Exorcism Part 2. You told me it was The Last Exorcism. Yeah. They should have pulled the the Marigold and call it the second to Last Exorcism or something like that. <laughs> they, you just own it, you know? That's number five, opening number five. Not very good job. You've also got something called Escape from Planet Earth. What the fuck is that? That's a Brennan Fraser Weinstein company animated film. You are correct. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, something called Safe Haven? Is that like a... That's the insane that's Lassie Julianne Hall from Huff, right? Julianne Huff, Josh Duhamel. Correct. Yeah. Lassie Hall just directed it. It's that, a Sparks. It's a Sparks. It's like a weird twist in it. It has yeah. quite a twist. What's that? 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> all of them. Haven wasn't so safe after all. Right. Josh Duhamel was 9-11. She fell in love with the embodiment of 9-11. What is the No, twist? it's a thing... Ugh. Uh, uh, Kobe Smolders. Someone's a ghost. Kobe someone's Smulders a ghost. Is, <laughs> Julianne is a ghost. Huff moves to this town, and Kobe Smolders is her like best friend in the romantic drama, giving her advice on dating this guy. And then you find out it is uh, uh, Dumel's dead wife right. who has Who's spoken, nudging her towards like make my so husband happy. happy. Right. Yeah. Nicholas Sparks wrote it. He saw the Sixth Sense and woke up in like a blind like panic and right. just like wrote this book in a morning. Yes. Uh, safe Haven. She's nudging him to a safe haven. What if a haven was safe? Uh, also, you've got a good day to die hard. Bad. Silver. Or like a bad day to die hard. Okay. I agree. Uh, Silver Linings Playbook. Still. Uh, still hanging around after four or five months. That movie was a big hit. It was. Jesus. People just wanted to see Robertson here going, hey, I got a gamble. The other th I bet the Eagles again. I remember my dad being like, that's really not working at the box office after it had been out for like two months. And I was like, watch, the second it gets the fucking Oscar nominations, right. Weinstein's going to like throttle this thing. He's going to hit the NOS he button. He did it. He hit the NOS and button. And suddenly it then made like another $110 million. Um, and uh, you've also got Dark Skies, uh, the Carrie Russell uh, alien horror movie. I fully Everyone's, forgot about it. I think it's come up existed. on this podcast before it's, and yeah. you do not know it. It's wow. not a good Barely. movie, but I like it. I, oh, you I like feel it. I, it's not good. I feel similarly about it to the fucking uh, Dreamcatcher movie, where Dream like Dreamcatcher's good. That's David's favorite. <laughs> I've seen that movie like six times. I've I seen don't know it why. Like three times, but still yeah. more than once. Um, Stoker, we're done uh, talking about that. Yeah, it didn't really go anywhere. And um, Park takes a few years off, I would say, mm -hmm. because Handmaiden is what twenty eighteen. Yeah, twenty sixteen. Uh, you're right. It's twenty, so it doesn't take okay. that long no. off. And also, and that's a make... real Amazon in their sort of like we're patrons of the arts. We're giving good filmmakers more money than anyone else would give them to do weird things. And the thing about that movie is he adapts what people thought was an unadaptable book and totally changes its context. Which right. Is, he completely yeah messes with it, Amazing. which is probably what was was the move. Makes his masterpiece. I agree. And and also to your point, maybe the only part-time work movie with like a happy ending yeah for how fucked up most of that movie is yeah that's it does kind of yeah. leave you on a good note that's the one movie that has catharsis because the only way women can be happy is to be with each other yeah it's just yeah it's and true do a bad murder yeah uh, murder or lesbians emily or don't, both. Both. don't tell them that on mic i'm single i'm trying to <laughs> if they know that other women are an option what what chance do i have uh emily i feel like you have a thousand things to plug I do. Can I tell you an Aaron Sorkin story? <laughs> yes! <laughs> I feel like I save up anecdotes for when I come on here, like I'm fucking uh, somebody going on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno, yeah. just like my random encounters with uh, celebrity culture. I, I like to imagine Ben like pre-interviewing you <laughs> and being like, that's a good couch story. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, I, a couple years ago, uh, Being the Ricardos was about to come out. It was the day that the trailer dropped, but also the day that he gave an interview where he was like, I couldn't find someone Cuban-American to play Ricky. You know, that's just too hard. And By was, the way, uh, Being the Ricardos being released is like uh, Nicole Kidman letting uh, India Stoker leave her home. <laughs> Hola. Just be like, just go out. I can't control the damage you'd cause anymore. Hola, Lucy. Uh, it was just weird that he, he was like, I'm going to play it like Salazar. And yeah. Sorkin was like, I, uh, his face was deteriorating. He, uh, so I, but I did a tweet that was basically like, I can't believe Aaron Sorkin is redoing Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip, mm -hmm. but about I Love Lucy. So this idea that this TV show's that important is actually true. Right. right. So he gets to be like self-important about it. Anyway, I just did the tweet, forgot about it. Mm. That afternoon, Aaron Sorkin emailed me and I like confirmed this with other people who've emailed with him. And he just writes to me and he's like, wait until you see the movie. You never know. And I like agonized over how to respond to this. So uh, this is the uh, thing that I write back to him. Think about this all day. Mr. Sorkin, I am a trans woman and I worry not infrequently about if the world actually sees me as a woman which is to say getting a random email from you in response to a shitpost tweet I made in about five seconds was an incredibly validating experience. <laughs> Best of luck on the movie. Did Mr. Sorkin reply? He wrote back, indeed, and uh, I had mentioned at the end of that that uh, I like Jessica Chastain in, in uh, Molly's Game. Incredible. And he said, couldn't agree more about Jessica. Be well, and I hope I get to meet you one day. We haven't actually met, but I was you like, should meet him. there's two resolutions. Hey, yes. There's two resolutions to this story, which is one, I start dating Aaron Sorkin mm -hmm. or two, he writes a movie where a trans woman falls into a pool. And I'm like, that was me. I inspired that. Uh, I think that I think the latter is better for you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't wish for you to date Aaron Sorkin. I would say I would. I feel like Aaron Sorkin and I would have a like a real great contentious relationship. The banter would be great. The banter would be uh, well. You nailed amazing. that email. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that was my plug. Yeah, <laughs> the best writers out there. Everything you. you do, be it email, yeah, be it long form <laughs> um, writing, journalistic writing, be it uh, be it fiction writing. Yeah, it's all excellent. Yeah, I'm ICS. Oh, uh, yeah. About that ship. Yeah. Uh, I had, I didn't start the ICS, which is too bad. Too I bad. wish I had. Could have plugged. Anyone who started that <laughs> if would you probably had it, be. If you could turn back time, maybe. Anyone who started that would probably be so proud. They'd be bringing <laughs> it up at all times. Cinephile society. I mean, honestly. <laughs> Sounds like something a teenager came up with. Um, you can find me on Twitter still at Emily St. Jams. I'm also on Blue Sky if mm -hmm. you're on that at that name. It's good. It's a good site. Um, I uh yeah, I I I'm on the co-host the podcast podcast like it's 1992, where mm -hmm. we're talking about the movies of 1992, having Everybody a blast. Yeah. Yeah, having a blast on that show. Um, I write on the TV show Yellow Jackets. I worked there one day. Hey. So, but it counts. it counts. They paid me. It counts. Uh, and uh, yeah, you should go watch that. It's on Look. on Showtime. Uh, Arden still exists. I'm not on that anymore, but you can listen to it's it and there. enjoy it. It's we're, fun. We're recording this far out enough in advance that the hope is that maybe by the time this episode yeah. comes out, the writer's the strike, strike has over. resolved itself and you'll be back in the it's writer's possible. Yeah, this is coming out August 20th. Yeah, by then, like, nice. everybody will be on strike. The country will be on strike. Right. It'll be great. Joe Biden's on strike. Um, I also... But Zaslav still just is like, no, no, no. Yeah. Max, though. Max. Just kind of perfect it first. The one where you watch HBO. Uh, I also sold a novel that's coming out in January 2025, which is when I will next be on the podcast. Hey, I'm just no. Just calling my shot. Sooner. So. Uh, I forgot to mention, uh, I uh, uh, Ben and I went out on uh, Sunday night and went out, stayed out uh, too late. Mm-hmm. 
but missed the Sunday night. So just to really carbonate this episode. Oh, yeah. You guys couldn't even watch the fucking Succession my finale. My marathon last night was back to back to back watching Succession finale, Barry finale, Stoker. It left me in a very specific headspace. <laughs> Stoker's kind of chill compared to those other two. I still, I still haven't seen the Succession finale because I came to town to see... Taylor Swift. Ooh, and she was at the yes. same time yeah. as the succession finale. And I'm going to get her on this show. I promise. Yeah. It's oh, absolutely. Happen. Come yeah. on, uh, blank check, Taylor. Yeah. Should we bleep all of that out? Yes. And we should probably commit suicide. Yep. Absolutely. No. On mic. We're doing the best we've ever done. It's and this has been a great it. episode in our great You're series the best, about Emily. Part Time Work. Thank you. Thank been you. Too actually, long. We'll have you on again sooner. Not, we're not going to wait for you the know book. What? 2022 yeah. was the year you didn't have an Emily on this podcast. And if you're not going to have me Fuck. or Yoshida, you got to yeah. get a different, you got to get Blunt, you got to get Nussbaum, you got to get somebody. You got to get an Emily every year. Blunt? saw Blunt on Blunty. the street the other day. Well, she fucking looked unbelievable. <laughs> she it. did, but she looked at me sort of like she was trying to figure out, she was trying to find the entrance to Italy. And she There's so many entrances. That was the thing, and she couldn't find the right door, and then she was looking around, and she, like, clocked me directly in the sort of, like, do you know where? And I just, like, withered. But not even, I'm not even saying, like, oh, she looked really hot. She looked like the coolest person I have ever seen. Um, my friend, she's uh, very cool. My friend Crystal, co-creator Arden, uh, once used to work at the ArcLight and would mm -hmm. like serve her and John Krasinski often, and they'd just be like totally chill going to see a movie vibes. Very on. beautiful people. Come on the pod. Come on the pod. Come on the pod. Gotta get an Emily every year. Part two recently. Yeah. It was okay. It's okay. It's fine. All right, goodbye. Bye. Uh, let's do our th Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media and helping to produce the show. Thank you to JJ Birch for our research. We had to shift the schedule around wildly because Emily was going to be in town last second, so JJ had to pull this dossier together very, very quickly. Thank you, JJ. Thank you for the fast turnaround on that. Thank you to AJ McKeon and Alex Barron for bleeping out the thing that David said that we definitely don't want going out over the airwaves. Thank you to Leigh Montgomery and the Great American Novel for our theme song, Joe Bowen, Pat Reynolds for our artwork. You can go to blankcheckpod.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon Blank Check special features where we do commentaries on film series and other sort of bonus stuff. We're going to be doing the little drummer girl over there. The aforementioned his only other English language work, the AMC miniseries. And schedule-wise, Ben, at the time this is coming out, are we tail end of oceans or are we on to the next thing we're doing? Uh, let's see. I'm looking ahead at our schedule. And I am seeing that this comes out on August 20th. Mm -hmm. And that Good means stalling. that we are, <laughs> are now in the midst of our oceans. We're, we're traveling. We're swimming across the oceans. We're doing and laps. As far as um, the uh, archive of Patreon that we open yes, up. Our free um, Patreon membership where every uh, 10 days we unlock an episode from three years ago. We are now into Mission Impossible uh, Ghost Protocol. Oh, wow. Ooh. We're Zooming. Ooh. Yeah, baby. Literally, we're, those are episodes we're on Zoom. Uh, tune in next week for The Handmaiden. I cannot fucking wait. Uh, One of my good. favorite movies of the last 10 years. Can I shout out something? Please. The Blankies Discord 
one of the nicest places on the internet. I never just, go there. Just chill people in there. And compared to like every other thing, yeah. just, you know, uh, anytime a thing gets a fan base, the fans are like whatever. Discord's really I, nice, really chill. That's very nice to hear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Well, that's, keep it up. Yeah, good but work, not, everybody. But also, let's not give them too much praise because maybe they'll start to get cocky and they'll yeah. turtle and turn to an but awful don't, place. Yeah, keep it up. Stay don't keep humble. it up too much. Stay humble. Uh, you could always be better. Uh, and as always, uh, remember to flood the International Cinephile Society inbox to get David added to the about page. <laughs>